As we go to tape on the night of October 18th, we are closer to World War III, or WWJ as I prefer to call it, than since the Yom Kippur War in 1973, or even the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. Just as the Russians appeared to be turning the tide in Ukraine, Hamas said, hold my non-alcoholic beer, and erupted out of Gaza to wreak havoc on their Israeli jailers, consistent with a right proper prison outbreak. It is entirely possible that within the next day or two, Israel will launch a full-scale invasion of Gaza, forcing the hand of Arab and Iranian-backed militants in the Middle East to go all in on attacking the Zionist state to the greatest degree since Egypt and Syria jointly invaded in 1973. That could, in turn, force Biden to commit U.S. armed forces to defend the Israeli tail, which wags the American dog, and could very easily turn into an attack on Hezbollah, Syria, and Iran, and a scenario where events could spiral out of control quite quickly, up to and including the use of nuclear weapons. At Full House, we are neither it's happening guys who overreact to every geopolitical development, nor are we nothing ever happens bros, as evidenced by our accurate call in January of last year that yes, Russia really was about to invade Ukraine. We aim to be as accurate as we are grounded, as we are honest. Looming war might not be entirely a fatherhood or family topic, but it's damn important to understand what's going on and why, at bare minimum, to ensure you and your family are adequately prepared with a storm on the horizon, and so you are capable of talking to your family, friends, coworkers, and congregations about the true dynamic at play to the best of your ability and to cast off the Jewish spell that so many millions of Americans have labored under for decades. Yet again, our blood and treasure is being committed to another mess in the Middle East for Israel's benefit. To that end, we are honored to welcome back Patrick Martin, no stranger to the region nor U.S. foreign policy, to make sense of not just what's happening, but what's likely coming down the pike. So, Mr. Producer, let's go. show for white fathers, aspiring ones, and the whole biofam. I am your DEFCON 2 status host, Coach Finstock, back with another two hours of commentary that frankly deserves to be heard by more ears. Before we meet tonight's panel and our special return guest, huge thanks to all of our listeners who put in the work and got a subscription to Chris Cantwell's Surreal Politics, and in doing so, unlocked our almost three-hour marathon of commentary on sex last week. If you want to hear that whole thing, unlock all of Cantwell's content and future Full House specials, do the right thing and go to SurrealPolitics.com, that's politics with a K, get a monthly sub and use code FULLHOUSE at checkout for discount. 
F-U-L-L-H-A-U-S. If that's not your bag, though, and you want to support us anyway, you can always do so at givesendgo.com slash fullhouse or full-house.com and the support us tab. And big thanks to Theo and the friend father who sent us kind donations last week. We have a ton to cover this first hour, so let's get cracking. First up, he might not have a fancy degree in international relations or experience in the Middle East, but he understands the nature of Jews, and that puts him head and shoulders above the vast majority of people in understanding how the world works. Sam, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. You know, I uh, like to come on and say something funny or uh, tension getting usually right at the front, but uh, uh, given the nature of our subject matter, it's, I think, very sobering. But uh, how about that last episode? Do you feel like uh, smoking a cigarette after that episode like I did? <laughs> a little bit fatigued. I did go back and listen to it. And Sam, I got to tell you, you were my favorite. I thought you were, Ooh. you know, you know, abs- absolutely. Hands down. You kept it fun. You kept it practical. I agreed with you on most of the things. Uh, really job well done. Thank you. You got it. And you're absolutely right. You know, I, we're not doing this show to take advantage of a crisis or like, you yeah. Know, yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's one of the most important things that happened since Russia invaded Ukraine. For sure. It's more important, arguably in terms of the risk uh, to us and our families. Uh, so we're going to try to do the best job that we can to make sense of it. Knowing of course, that we have zero influence in the middle East and very little influence on American foreign policy. Tragic. Oh yeah, for sure. All right. I wasn't going to introduce him because I thought he was going to be absent this week. I was going to bust his chops that he was either on a hot date or an appointment with his local pinochle club. But regardless, Rolo, I'm glad you're here for the first half. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. I actually want to say something about this invasion where uh, I'm admitting that I was wrong. I didn't expect this to happen. What I did think was going to happen was that China was going to use this uh, Russia-Ukraine thing to invade Taiwan. So I'm a little pleasantly surprised. So you didn't think that Hamas was going to bust out of Gaza or you didn't think that the Israelis were going to invade Gaza, which they technically have not done yet. Unless it happened in the last five minutes. The Hamas thing. Gotcha. Uh, I I didn't think that, that that conflict would start. Fair enough. And I'll eat crow because I saw just the headlines. My parents were in town. There was soccer, all this craziness here. So I just saw, Oh God, you know, Hamas attacks Israel, uh, more or less a day that ends in Y, a random day, you know, throughout the years, not a big deal until I sat down to pay attention and said, oh boy, this is a horse of another color. Uh, and that is why I am so delighted to welcome back our special guest. He is, among other things, an Irish nationalist, a Southern nationalist, proud father, Charlottesville veteran, author of A Walk in the Park, host of Dixie on the Rocks, which I did not know the last time he came on the show. And most importantly, for the purposes of this episode, he is a longtime international relations professional, including significant experience in the Middle East. Patrick Martin, welcome back to Full House. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate it, gentlemen. It's our pleasure and our honor. Uh, And if you don't mind, we got so much to cover. We're just going to jump right into it without any pleasantries. Uh, We're a few days later than we wanted to be, but that's almost a blessing because we've got a lot more data points now than we would have just three or four days ago. Uh, We're going to start with Hamas. They were at least the antagonist in this drama, if not uh, 
they might not be the protagonist in the big picture. Uh, but Patrick, you have been putting in great work on Gab, sharing some of your professional experiences, and you were in Ramallah in the West Bank when Hamas actually took power via our treasured democracy and elections that we preach everywhere in 2006. Uh, the audience knows that they operate in Gaza and that they sort of had this bust out that has kicked things off. But what else do they need to know about Hamas, in your opinion? Yeah, so uh, first of all, again, thank you very much for the invitation. Hamas itself, just to point out, for those who are not aware, Hamas is a democratically elected political entity. And there are folks that say that the Israelis were essentially backing them at one point, and that might be true. Uh, back in 2005, when the elections were about to be held in the Palestinian uh, territories, the Fatah was the primary power, the primary democratic power, primary uh, group that had most support. Hamas was a relatively small group at the time and had some regional backing from Hezbollah or some regional backing from Iran. But Hamas won a surprise election that occurred in January of 2006. I happened to be there at the time. I was doing my thesis. I was working on Iranian-backed non-state armed groups, specifically working on studying the supply chain and logistics of how Iran supports Hezbollah. I was on the ground in southern Lebanon. I was on the ground in the West Bank and in Gaza. And at the time when Hamas won, the Israelis were pumping money into Hamas. They were pumping money into Hamas at the time because they thought that if it showed that Hamas was going to be this kind of radical group, this strong Palestinian nationalist group, that Fatah would come across as the moderates and they would win the election. Right. And there was some talk about a two-state solution at the time, how this would work out, and all of a sudden Hamas won. And it was a big shock. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Hamas, Almost 90%, about 90, I think it's 92% of Palestinian Christians supported Hamas. In fact, Hamas got a greater proportion of Christian, Palestinian Christian support than the Palestinian Muslims. Palestinian Muslims were almost split evenly. And when they won this election, it was a big shock, big shock in the region. Of course, shortly thereafter, the Israelis began working on their uh, Fatah handlers to break it up. So now, Fatah has largely controlled the West Bank and Gaza is controlled by Hamas. But mm -hmm. Hamas did not start out really as, it's not really a religious entity as such. It's really, it's an elected body. It's a Democratic Party, much like a Republican or a Democrat Party, so to speak. It just happens to be a parliamentary system that's now fractured as a result of Israeli meddling once that their bet that Hamas wouldn't win didn't work out. Yeah, uh, yeah, because they a, uh, they uh, tried to uh, uh, you know kind of ameliorate the situation with uh, uh, Yasser Arafat. If if we all right. remember, he he got like a Nobel Peace Prize, and he was you know shaking hands with the Jews, and he became like this accepted party. And then I I to, the way it looks to me, like the Palestinians really expressed their will when it came down to it. Do we take this more accepted uh, option? Or are we going to double down and take this hard nose option? That, to me, shows the spirit of the people that they really understand the dynamic and they double down on that position. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Sam, you, you, the thing is that, that the Palestinian Liberation Organization, PLO and, and Fatah, 
which is exactly who Yasser Arafat's overall arching group was. Uh, you have the militant wing, and then you had obviously the uh, political wing. That was a it was a it was a kind of a shock to the system. And I happen to be privileged to be doing literally doing my thesis graduate work at the time there in region, uh, and had that chance to go see Hamas. Now, funny thing was when I came back from the West Bank, I wound up being uh, detained by Shin Bet, the Israeli uh, <laughs> uh, internal security, for about six hours of questioning before they allowed me to, to leave, and I wound up being on an interesting flight back to New York. But that was a that's a whole other story. Um, but you, what you're talking about here now, I know the lead up was, did Hamas start this or not? Um, actually, interestingly enough, the Israelis really started this. So a lot of folks don't understand this. The Israelis are the ones who kicked this off. Um, and this is not really being given much play, is that a group of Jewish settlers, specifically Asidim, very, um, these Orthodox Jews, attacked the Al-Aqsa Mosque prior to about five days prior to this rocket launch and the at the time the israelis knew this was going to happen they desecrated the most holy site of the for palestinian muslims they desecrated this site they wound up taking it over they held up they held a position about three days so the lead up to this whole incident by the way which is not really being talked about is you had a group of jewish settlers who began attacking christian pilgrims they violently assaulted a number of christian pilgrims um, their number of Christian pilgrims were sent into the hospital. They began destroying, uh, they actually they attacked the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This was talked about by the, uh, the Orthodox Church that have, has a strong presence there. They then went on to then attack and invade the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And when they attacked the Al-Aqsa Mosque, they, they held on to the Al-Aqsa Mosque and they began desecrating the internal structure of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This has always been a fault line for the Palestinians. Palestinians have always said, no matter what happens, if you touch mm -hmm. the Al-Aqsa Mosque, this is when we're going to hit you. And it seems like this was a coordinated attack. The Israeli, the, uh, we all know the Israelis are quite capable of extricating parties when they want to do so. In this case, they did not do so. Right. They had a few rocks thrown at them. They kind of feigned attacks and said, well, we're trying to get them out peacefully. That was a bunch of BS. Um, and ultimately what occurred was the Al-Aqsa Mosque was badly damaged. It's a wooden structure, by the way. It's a wooden structure that goes back to the seventh century. And it doesn't, it looks like the, it was irreparable harm, by the way. Uh, not only to that, but also to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. None of this is getting much play in the, in the American media. But the result was, and there were multiple warnings, by the way. Hamas warned the Israeli government, if you continue to allow this to happen, we are going to fire upon you. We're going to attack you. So for three straight days prior to, Hamas issued warnings. We will attack you if you do not extricate these folks from Al-Aqsa. And they went up they, the first two days they did through official channels. They were shut down. The third day they did it through the Chinese government. So the Chinese, the, the government in the embassy of China to, uh, well, the Tel Aviv, through Tel Aviv, through Jerusalem, said, this is what we're hearing back. You've got to get these guys out, these settlers out. The Israeli government played coy with this. And then all of a sudden you had this rocket attack. So this is not something that happened without warning. This is not something that happened without any kind of provocation. This was the most holy site to the Palestinian Muslims. It's, again, you're talking about a mosque. It's very important to them. Been built. It, it goes back to the 7th century. It is a wooden structure. There's a certain fragility to it. And it was attacked. It was attacked by the Israelis. And as a result, they got attacked. 
Thank you for the reminder, too, because I was just willing to say Hamas is clearly the instigator here, both because of the scale of the operation made me think that this had been planned for a long time. The timing was literally the 50 year anniversary of either the kickoff or the conclusion of the Yom Kippur War. And I mistakenly thought that some rabbis went in there and like danced around and did their usual disgusting stuff. I didn't know the scale of that. And of course, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is built, if I'm correct, on top of the ruins of the supposed first temple and almost certainly Solomon's temple, the second temple. So ultimately, what the Israelis, the Jews want would be to demolish that thing and build their third temple. Um, Correct. No question about it. You uh, also shared some insights into the nature of Hamas, and I think you lumped Hezbollah in there. For I assume that 90% of the people listening to the show are more or less know the full score and are have no sympathies for Israel. Uh, but they may still have that impression, uh, understandably, somewhat justifiably, given Muslim terrorist attacks, rapes, grooming, etc., in the West and England, all over the world, uh, that these are still... At, at core butchers, terrorists, bad guys, but you say, ah, 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 not so quick. These are not uh, savage ISIS sand people when it comes to Hamas and Hezbollah. A little bit of humanization for them, uh, if you could, please, Patrick. Sure. So first, let me just point at this. I'm a white man and I'm a white Christian. And so for me, white Christians are, that's my, those are my people. And I want to make sure that they are protected in every which way. So having all these brown skin invaders that have been invited into Western civilization is a bad thing, whether they're in Detroit, uh, you know, Lansing, Australia, Michigan, what have you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> England, all that yeah. stuff. I, I don't want that happening. Now that said, who's been inviting them? It's been Jews. So who, who have been the big supporters of all these refugees, Jews, they have been bringing in these brown skin invaders, you know, by large, you, know, you think about it, take this back maybe 10 years ago when ISIS was running rampant throughout Syria and northern Iraq, they were outright decimating Christian communities. These were old Orthodox Christian communities in Syria, Iraq, had existed for a thousand years. You had very few but strong governments that had supported them for a number of years and kept them alive. And when ISIS takes over, they want to destroy them. We don't offer them as Americans, for instance, or even Western, Western societies in general, whether they're Germany, France, what have you, we don't offer them any kind of refugee status. We open it up to a bunch of really young male, brown skinned male invaders. And who was leading the way? Jews. So right. let's put this into context here. I'm not a fan of the fact that there are Palestinians or grooming, you know, what they call Asians in, in England running around trying to grab white girls or white boys and take them back to countries and what have you. That to me is disgusting. And I'd like to see every one of them dropped in the ocean. And those were so Pakistanis just to be fair to the Palestinians. I don't think there were Palestinian grooming gangs in England. Yep. Carry on. That's please. true. That's true. It's not Palestinians, but you know, you're talking about groups that, that either come from right. Pakistan, <laughs> you know, again, they call them Asians in, in England or in, in many cases, a lot of these Middle Eastern or North African Margaret's coming out of Libya, coming out of places like Iraq, Syria, et cetera, Turkey, especially. So I'm not a fan of that. That said, what you're dealing with is very different. You're talking about groups. First of all, the Palestinians are trying to gain back their territory. And I want this to, again, you look at this broader context here. 
there's a lot of Americans who will immediately say, well, this is a religious war between two mud people, Jews and Muslims who are fighting each other. That's not true. If you look at what happened during British Palestinian era, British Palestine at one time, Hmm. These two parties were not fighting each other. They were fighting their British occupiers, so to speak. And actually, the Palestinians, the British Palestinians, the Muslim Palestinians, were in support of British Palestine. It was the Jews who were the terrorists at the time. They were the ones attacking the Brits. We forget this from a historical context here. They were attacking them. They were hitting them. They were hitting these Brit- the, the, Brit- the so-called British occupiers. When it comes to Lebanon... The Shiite community that Hezbollah represents is a minor- was a minority community. It's now a plurality. It's got the plurality. There's not quite the majority yet, but through breeding, it probably will within, I'd say, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. That said, this is not a group that's looking to invade the West. They're not interested in taking over Germany or the United States. They're interested in their homelands. We're not talking about a bunch of Pakistani, Pakistani scumbags going into Manchester and trying to take a bunch of white girls uh, to sell in, say, Saudi Arabia. Right. This is a very different group. And so I'm not in support of brown-skinned people in general. But that said, when we're talking about a war that's happening in a, in a regional conflict, it's very ethnic, it's very nationalist. The religious dynamic is very easy to get sucked into. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about tribes here that really have not a whole lot to do with white people in general. Right. Uh, Yeah, there is such a thing as a historically justified grudge and struggle, even if it's not our struggle. Uh, And I think at minimum expressing sympathy and understanding for that, if not overt support or being a loud pro-Palestinian activist uh, is justified, consistent with our ideology. Well, um, yeah, I, I had to uh, I had to resist the uh, temptation to uh, get the Palestinian flag lapel pin. <laughs> I was I was going to get it, but yeah, and and talking about Palestinians, uh, Palestinians are very smart people. Uh, if you ever if you've ever met any of them, I knew a couple of guys back when I was about thirty years old. I knew them professionally, and uh, they were very smart, and they were. Uh, seem to be decent people. And uh, also, interestingly, they confirmed a lot of the things that I was accusing uh, the other side of at the time, you know, this, Mm -hmm. um, this like, um, this is like in the nineties. And I was, I would tell people that I work with, yeah, you you realize they have highways that only Jews can drive on. And uh, if that one particular anecdote stuck out in my mind, because they confirmed that one right away. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, so pa- Palestinians seem like good people, to, for, at least from my experience. Well, if you think about this way for just a quick moment, you know, again, let's, let's look at this from the broader context. Palestinians are not in power in the United States. They're not, in, they don't have an open border in Mexico. They're not the ones right. in charge. Schumer is in charge. Right. You've got folks that are, you've got a, a tribe that's in charge. The one tribe, it's not really a Middle East tribe. It's more of a Kakaosan tribe. It's an Ashkenazi tribe that's really have been the dominating force in destroying Western civilization. I don't like poison. I hate poison. I, I would never want to drink poison. I don't like, you know, I'm not a guy who loves poison. But that said, <laughs> if I want to kill a bunch of rats, I'm going to grab some poison. Um, and, and here's the deal. I don't like the rats and I don't like the rat nest. And the fact is, Israel is a rat's nest. 
and it's a bunch of rats that in Israel itself has really been effectively one big money laundering operation for anti-Western operations around the world. We keep pumping money and billions of dollars into Israel that go right back out into the coffers of a bunch of Jewish activists, whether they're operating in Germany, whether they're operating in the United States, whether they're operating in Canada, wherever it may be, in the white world, and they take that money and they pump it right back into anti-Western civilization coffers. And that's a fact. And so when we have this rat's nest, you got to get rid of the rats. Doesn't mean I like poison. Doesn't mean I want to drink poison. Doesn't mean I want to support poison. But you know what? Sometimes you eat poison and kill rat's nest. Before Israel even existed, Hitler foretold what would happen if the Jews got their homeland in Mein Kampf. He called uh, the prospect of Israel a central organization for their international world swindle, endowed with its own sovereign rights and removed from the intervention of other states, a haven for convicted scoundrels and a university for budding crooks. And I wanted to just piggyback real quick off of Sam there. And for the audience to be clear, I was never and am not a Middle East hand. I focused on different parts of the world when I was in the business. However, when I was about 22 years old, 2004, I spent two intense weeks with a Palestinian delegation. I was sort of new to the game and it was my job to make sure they were looked after logistically, created the content, set up the meetings, et cetera. I was with them 24 seven for two weeks. And at the time, 2004, I was very 9-11 in my thinking on Israel. I I was probably pro-Israel. I was anti-Islam, et cetera. And these folks, again, not necessarily representative of the entire Palestinian population, but I got to tell you, they were smart, like Sam said. They were kind. They were even a little bit fun. Uh, they actually got me smoking again. I had quit smoking by then, and all these Palestinians were smoking and giving monsters. Me their- <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, tobacco terrorists. Um, but that still, co- I have very fond memories of them. And the only thing that really irritated me at the time was when they were not all devout, by the way, only some of them went to the mosque on Friday, the main mosque in Washington, DC on Massachusetts Avenue. The only time they really pissed me off was when two of them tried to persuade me to come pray with them. Uh, when I took them there for Friday par- prayers and at the time, that was you know very offensive. They were trying to proselytize me, et cetera. But looking back on it, they were, uh, fairly charming about it. All right, we got to move on. Um, the attack itself. Uh, everybody's seen the footage, some spectacular epic footage, of course, uh, but the motivation and the idea that Israel possibly knew that it seems ironclad that they were at least informed. And of course, this comes in the context of Bibi Netanyahu trying to maintain power in a very divided Israel. Patrick, do you think that the Israelis deliberately ignored the signs and allowed this to happen to a certain extent so that they could have their own 9-11, which they have helpfully informed us. You know, the life of one Israeli is worth like 20 Americans. So it's way worse than 9-11 for them. But uh, yeah, did the Israelis let it happen? And maybe some Hamas uh, strategy, what they were thinking, please. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Hamas gave them warning a couple of days, warned them. And again, the Chinese government, we know, warned them. So we know that there was warnings. So just point, just take one step back. The Chinese government, in, in 2019, the U.S. government sent several billion dollars to the, well, to begin in 2016. But by 2019, it was several billion dollars to establish a naval base in Haifa that would be able to support U.S. Uh, naval operations for the Sixth Fleet. That they took the money, they invested in deep water port in Haifa, they invested in a signals intelligence operation in Haifa, 
And then in 2019, end of 2019, they turned the keys over to the Chinese government. So and you can look this up. I mean, this is now open source. Is that the Chinese government essentially took over the naval base that was supposed to be built for the United States Navy? The Israelis did that, and the Chinese have been providing information and intelligence to the uh, Israelis that are not being garnered from uh, Israeli sources to the Israeli government. So this has been going on since early 2020. Surely uh, our greatest ally in the region. Would our not greatest be. ally, exactly. Chinese, exactly. I guess it's saying it ain't right. so bad. <laughs> right, right. So I mean, so you have a you have a Chinese government. You have a communist Chinese government that is a- antagonistic to the United States, that has taken U.S. tax dollars and then put it into the building of a Chinese naval base in Haifa. So they have this warning. So I do think that they were looking for their kind of non-eleven event. I think where they did what they didn't understand was a number of factors. One, they didn't understand that this is not nine eleven. This is not two thousand one. This is not a. There's not a sole um, superpower anymore. This, this is not a, a global U.S. hegemony that mm-hmm. came out of the post Cold War era. So they don't have the same kind of leverage. And in fact, I would say this: I will bet you that there's no large-scale invasion of Gaza. It does not happen. Um, I think they're going to use rockets. I think they'll use air support shore. They'll use some special right. operations capacity, but they are terrified of going into Gaza for a lot of reasons. One, they don't have U.S. support. I think that they overplayed their hand. I think the golem was created, and I've said this about this on Gab, is that they have been so invested in bringing brown-skinned people into Western societies to destroy the West the Christian West, that in so doing, they have dismantled their own support networks. That's part of it. Iran is much stronger. Iran's weapon systems are much stronger. There's clear communication between Iran, Russia, and China in terms of sharing strategic capacity. You have Nasser, you have Nasser, N-A-S-R, um, ballistic missiles that are in Gaza that could take out some ships, in fact, some frigates. Mm-hmm. So you've got you have this advanced capacity to include the fact that it does appear that for at least a short period of time, Sunnis and Shiites are kind of putting aside their differences for different reasons and seeing for the first time that if they can wipe out Israel, if they get the pretext to wipe out Israel, they can now get rid of American capacity in the region in a way that they've never really thought about before especially given the bad relations between the current regime, oh, sorry, the Biden regime and uh, and Saudi Arabia, which have been abysmal. That's another complex part of the story. Iran, of course, cannot wait for the opportunity to strike Israel. Hezbollah has strengthened its ability and capabilities, especially since its failures in the early years of the ISIS wars. And you have Hamas. So, all this is happening. So I think Israel did bet on this 9-11 type environment, but they don't have nearly the kind of support that they really thought they would have to the point where even Turkey is mm-hmm. talking about supporting the Palestinians. I think that was a big yeah. shock. Them and the yeah. Egyptians, uh, that was a big shock for them. Well, and we, we've we've heard about this before, but uh, should should especially be considered now. You we hear about these 250 miles of tunnels under Gaza, including tunnels that go out into Israel, 
Right. So, uh, you know, it could be a very complicated in ground invasion if that's what is going to happen. But I, Israel's, I would to- Israel's own Stalingrad, if we uh, mm-hmm. want to think, uh, get a little excited. That's a great that's, way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, get bogged down. Uh, Gaza itself is the size of metropolitan Philadelphia or like two Washington, D.C.'s. Uh, you know, it's small enough they could pulverize it to the ground. But, it, yeah, it's, it strikes me that bo- both sides, and that's where this gets really dangerous, both sides are, are locked into having to respond in a certain re- respect. The Israelis have to do something. Netanyahu probably feels extreme pressure uh, to at least, like you said, Patrick, send in special forces, con- continue the bombardment. Fair enough that they may be wise enough to avoid going into that that rat's nest of its, of its own because of what the quagmire it would be, plus leaving them perhaps vulnerable elsewhere. But the Islamic world too, it's a real uh, crapper get off the pot moment if they stand by while Israel goes in and does even worse than it has already to Gaza. Um, a, a smart guy I know says no, that that is a physical, theoretical, ideological impossibility uh, because well, of how tightly wound people are that they that they would have to respond in en masse and significantly, you know, leading toward the possible WW3 scenario. Well, well uh, let's just put it real quick. And I'm sorry. Sorry. Real, real quick. I apologize, buddy. The, uh, the right. real quick though, I wanted to say this. Notice this is all happening in a, in a power vacuum in the Republican party. So you now have a Congress that has no leader. So right now, what Israel was banking on was that there would be some clear leadership coming from the United States in terms of support. And the Democrat Party is, is really deeply split. I mean, the Democrats have got, obviously, they're very, they've got their, their Jewish overlords on the one side, but they've got their brown skin um, Palestinian sympathizers at the base of the support of the other party at sort of their base. So they really have nothing to provide as a clue mm-hmm. to Netanyahu as to which direction can they go. The, they've always now turned to the Republican Party because the Republican Party, you know, they, they, and I, I mean, I hate to use this term. I'm, I'm a Christian in every which way, but these dispensationalist Christians are a oh, yeah. outright. Oh, they they disgust me. Yeah. They'll give anything they want, and the Republican Party typically bends over backwards to provide to Christ killers what they um, what you know, dispensational Christians believe to be a, a co-chosen people. Yeah. So now you have you don't have any clear indication. So you have a right now you've got a paralysis happening in Israel where they have no idea who's going to back them. They can't trust necessarily the, the Democrat Party in the U.S. because they don't know whether it's going to go base. Or it's going to go the Jew powers. They're assuming it's going to be Jew powers. But that said, the Republican Party can swing really rapidly. And it's got a very complex structure right now going on, especially when you look at support from Gen X and millennial, surprisingly enough. Millennial Christians who do not buy into the dispensationalist right. notions of a cultural status, which is right. changing the dynamics of the Republican Party right now. Too much time on the Internet has woken up the younger generations. They were not raised. Yeah. You, mean, 
You mean you don't think Biden is going to provide enough leadership? The guy that doesn't even know where the hell he is. <laughs> I, I remember in the in the lead up to the invasion of Iraq, I was like reading Charles Krauthammer to get my information and my takes right. uh, before social media. My how the world has changed. Sure. And a, one real interesting tidbit: I was listening to the World on NPR tonight on the way home, and uh, they had a uh, Israeli media a journalist essentially on the ground there who said that. Uh, Biden actually made BB look small, despite how, of course, you wouldn't call him frail and, you know, just a, just a old man. But she said that uh, BB has really not risen to the occasion. I'm, I'll paraphrase that he's more of a Chamberlain than a Churchill in this situation. And you would think that, neo, you know, of course, there's left wing Jews and right wing Jews, peacenik Jews and Warhawk Jews. BB is certainly the latter, uh, but that he's been as unlikable as not bold. And the Israeli people are, again, this is coming from one journalist, but she she provided some evidence to back it up that they're still in shock and uh, not thinking about gloves, you know, kid gloves with Gaza, but sort of looking for blood and they're not really getting it from Bibi yet. And of course, yeah. Bibi has been under under siege for uh, over a year due to trying to remake the government and the judicial sector. Yeah. So Israel, Israel's divided. Uh, the Gazans look even better right now after the hospital was bombed. And it feels like the rest of the region is just waiting for a ghost. Well, the, yeah. certain things have changed. There's been a real sea change. I'm old enough to remember when I was a little kid and there was the Camp David Accords. And I remember uh, the Anwar Sadat with his uh, nigger fro and uh, uh, Menachem Begin, you know, as as uh, um, typical looking Jewish person as you could imagine and then uh, jimmy carter and they all had their hands piled up together and uh, shaking hands and and they had this uh, negotiation or with this meeting but uh, the, the 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 only content of that meeting was the buying off of egypt that that they would lay off israel and that yep. there would be all kinds of uh, investment in their country and they wouldn't uh, need to be, you know, fight over land or anything like that, mm -hmm. which did hold for a while. But Egypt um, was then and remains now a very significant country in that region. And uh, you, you're starting to see these pronouncements coming from high levels of these uh, otherwise bought off Arab governments like Egypt saying uh, that uh, they condemn the actions of the occupying forces, which mm -hmm. is language that suggests that you do not admit that Israel has a right to exist, so to speak. Thanks. And, uh, you know, so you're, you're getting that from Egypt, who has been bought off at who knows what, how many trillions of dollars. And uh, uh, Jordan, same thing. These, yep. these Arab countries that have played nice for a long time are rattling their swords. Yep. Well, I'm glad you, you mentioned. You look at this. Sorry, just real quick, Patrick, and then back to you. Uh, you know, we talk about our treasured democracy and spreading democracy around the world. Yeah. I, I still vividly remember how the Muslim Brotherhood won the Egyptian elections. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> like, uh, we, we like democracy, but uh, not when it doesn't go our way. On second thought, let's have a little uh, Arab spring. Ex and, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, Anwar Sadat was assassinated essentially by what was like the progenitor of the Muslim Brotherhood, or maybe it was the mother Muslim brotherhood itself Muslim, and they yeah. yeah and they end up actually taking power so once again just like the palestinians the palestinians 
where this thing, this incubator for, for radical action and things like that. And then when a democracy is set up for them, what do they choose? They choose the radical thing. Same with Egypt. A lot of well, chickens I mean, coming home to roost. Yep. Good. That's, right. that's right. You think about democracy and so forth, right? So um, AFD is now in Germany looking at, they're talking about uh, trying to ban the AFD in Germany. Mm, alternative yeah. for Deutschland. Um, they're looking at banning them. Of course, here in the United States, they didn't like they didn't like the way the trajectory was going, so they changed the election in 2020. I do believe that strongly. No. Um, they they essentially undermined a, a popularly elected president in 2016 mm-hmm. through these Russian allegations, etc. Yeah. For four years. Now, I may not be a huge fan of Trump today. I was a fan back of, in 2016. I was disappointed by the man. But that said, everything that has happened has shown that the United States is about as wedded to democracy. You know, as about you know, honestly, I mean, we were talking about, yeah, yeah, exactly. If a night night with a whore is a wedding, then that's our relationship with it, exactly. exactly. I got got what I need, and I'm out. Um, uh, and and I hope you don't, you're not pregnant, but you know, that that's the thing is, it's interesting with is with a whole the Middle East right now, again, the, the thing is, the Israelis are paralyzed by the fact that there's not a speaker in the Congress right now that can come out and say. Because think about this for a moment. Imagine if you are going and you're ready to go to war, you think you're going to go to war, and you might have Iran fighting you, and you might have to deal with some other actors in the region, and you can't get a budget or weapons um, sent to you because there's no speaker. Therefore, the government shuts down in November because of a debt. uh, I mean, this is the kind of complexity. This is what's got... It's not about Netanyahu's doesn't Netanyahu's. I think Netanyahu's instinct is to go and attack Gaza. He would love to do that. He does know that there are weapons there. It could be bad, what have you. But you're talking about a guy that really needs to ensure that he has American money and American weapons coming his way. Yep. And we have sent him some weapons. We have sent him some money because we do have. We'll always have certain levels of defense appropriations that are kind of the, the back end, sort of an emergency check fund. But come November, we're about to hit a, a debt ceiling that was temporarily delayed, and we don't have a Speaker of the House yet. And there's a damn good chance the next Speaker of the House may come in with some conditions that they're not sure that Biden will meet. Well, I, I said Biden. It's not really Biden. It's Obama three. three. But yeah. you know, so the Obama administration will not uh, necessarily support. So this is a really complex. This is an interesting timing. Yeah. Well, does it happen? They, well, they chose not eleven at that time. I would hope that some kind of disruption would come in so that this country wouldn't continue to support that country. But just like Nancy Pelosi said, they would burn this country to the ground to, to <laughs> continue still- to support Israel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, um, one one point I wanted to make as we we're talking about some of these past things is uh, I I remember again from my youth in this in the seventies late seventies when I started to understand things better and uh, into the eighties but uh, the way that 
the language with which this conflict was covered, because this is back in the Cold War era. And so, so things were couched in those terms. And back in those days, they, they would uh, cover the news story and they would emphasize what kind of Soviet weapons that the uh, PLO was using or, or uh, Black September or whatever group. And they would emphasize that, that uh, these were extreme left-wing groups. And sure enough, you'd have some kind of Soviet or Russian person would make some kind of statement about the, uh, you know, the, the proletariat or the, the, the people of the world or the workers of the world. And I just find it interesting how at that time, there was not this dynamic of Jew and Muslim. It was not a racial dynamic. It was not even a religious dynamic. It was the liberal democracy, Israel, uh, and capitalism versus communism and terror and things like that. And uh, I, I just think that it's this is all part of the big show of it, you know, because in, and in those days too, the way that they would cover it, it would be red meat for the conservatives or the patriotic Americans because hearing about that there was Russian arms were being supplied to the area or to hear some kind of Soviet pronouncement uh-huh. of, you know, yeah. casting the thing in political terms, that was red meat for them. But then you had the kind of the intellectual liberals who would always like, yeah, you see, this is this is why the, you know, the the proletariat and the the uh working class and the, all those types of terms that's why this is so inevitable and even though bad things are happening you see that this is the momentum and and we have to uh uh give people their their uh, rights and things that that the society owes them but that was just you see how it's the same way now too there it's it's framed in a way to get to to get a reaction out of both sides if you will. Well, you know, I want to step in here. It's, it's great. It's a great point you just made. Um, this coming Monday, October 23rd, will be the 40th anniversary of the Marine Corps uh, Beirut embassy bombing. Ooh, yeah, now, I'm I remember a Marine. that. I'll always be a Marine. You know, yep. I was a young boy at the time. I was 10 years old and I joined the Marine Corps about seven years after the fact. I happened to meet uh, within the service. Uh, Marines who had served in Beirut at the time. And when you think about that, 239 Marines dead, two sailors dead, 241. The worst single day loss of American military lives since Pearl Harbor at that time. Still to this day. Something like uh, 1985 or so, was it? 83. Uh, October 2030. I wanted to say that, but then, yeah, okay. All right. It's the 40th anniversary. So, you know, you. At the time that the Marines went in there to be UN peacekeepers, in many ways, the Reagan administration at the time was against the Israelis. They were taking a position that was sort of a hands-off approach. Hezbollah was up and coming at the time. Uh, Hezbollah eventually winds up being the group of the Amal movement, winds up being the group that bombs the uh, embassy and uh, kills those many Marines. And we find out later on that Marines were not allowed to have live ammunition and number of issues that occur as a result of that. But that said, there was no conversation regarding a religious dynamic at that time, up until that time. After 1983, you begin to have this religious dynamic because part of the play. In 1979, when the embassy is taken over by, by the way, by Iranian socialists, it was communists 
who took over the embassy was not Ayatollah Khomeini. A lot of Americans blame Ayatollah Khomeini for it. Ayatollah Khomeini had nothing to do with the, the takeover of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. Religion wasn't really part of this. We were beginning to be introduced to this idea of Muslims being these bad guys. Prior to that, Muslims were kind of these interesting fellows. They were sort of a, a check on communism throughout the Cold War. Because they were religious and the communists were atheists, they, there was no way they would ever take them over. Really uh, kind of a weird dynamic that was occurring between this religious identity versus this sort of atheistic communist identity. And so now we're, we're what, what's today, the 18th? So the 18th. So we're five days away from the 40th anniversary of the worst attack on U.S. military personnel since World War II. Yeah, so no one I mean, will even mention it. No one in the right, Congress it, or anything or Biden or anybody will even mention it. That you well, I'll guarantee you that they do this year because it's going to play into the hands of, you know, those politicians that want to play this yeah. whole idea of Hamas and blocks that are, it's all going to be a, a messaging issue. But, you know, again, you, you go back, like you said, and I agree with you. I mean, I we're not that far off in age when the early days it was sort of like these folks were just used. It was a lot about communism as a lot of, they were the big bad guys. They were the big bad wolf. Mm-hmm. And may, you might have some, some Muslim freaks here and there, but nobody really talking about them. The bigger threat was Fidel Castro was, uh, Ortega in Nicaragua. It was obviously the Soviet Union. That was a well, big threat um, until it was. For instance, uh, I, I would recommend a great movie. It's called A Day in September. It's about the uh, Munich Olympics in 1972. It's a very great riveting, movie. yeah, very riveting documentary. I have a copy of it that I pull out and watch once in a while. But at that time, and I just remember that they would use some of the news uh, coverage of it and you would have the anchor man there. I forgot who, who, which, which one he's a famous guy. And he's saying, he's calling this black S- September, these far left extremists, you know, and that's, you know, going exactly like what we're saying. It's there. It was portrayed as a political problem. It was, it was portrayed as, you know, this is not that far removed from Vietnam, right? Where, where the, the domino effect of all these little countries going communist around the world, that was the fear mongering of the time. Well, you know, if I, I, I got in correctly. trouble. Yeah, I, I got Go in ahead, trouble Patrick. back in ninety. It was ninety five or eighty six. I forget um, when Reagan bombed uh, Muammar Gaddafi, and I was sitting at a table, and there was this little Argentine boy. He just moved to America, and we were in we were in Blessed Trinity in Ocala, Florida, and he was talking about how Reagan had no right to go bomb. Qaddafi uh, and I punched him in the face, and I was a little <laughs> kid, and I got in trouble. <laughs> My, you know, it was, it was kind of, and I thought you, you, you can't do that. You communist son of a bitch. You can't. Sorry about the language, but you, know, you can't. You, you go beating up on. You can't go. We're Americans. You know, you're supposed to be proud Americans. And this this Qaddafi <laughs> guy, I didn't think about him as Muslim. I thought he was just an anti-American fellow. And nobody ever talked about him being Muslim. It was not a Muslim radical to me. He was just a guy that wanted to uh, attack Americans. And so, I mean, again, you you look at it, I think it was because of the uh, discotheque bombing is the reason why we attacked him, if I recall correctly. But regardless, it was a different time frame. And now you're talking about different structure in general. And the uh, bombing over Lockerbie, Scotland as well. That's right. Well, Lockerbie, I think, was was a result of that, by the way. It was after that. But, you know, the thing is, again, 
a lot of this has to do with the fact that Israel, if you think about this, Israel's and the Jewish community in general has taken over American politics in such a way that they've been able to essentially make this or paint this in, into a way that makes it Muslim versus the West, Muslim versus Christian. And, you know, it really is when you're talking about Hamas and Hezbollah and so forth, you're talking about nationalist organizations. You're talking about tribal communities that look at the Israelis. They're not necessarily anti-Jewish, although, yeah, I mean, they're not friends of them, but they're definitely looking at it as this is you. You're on my territory. I want my land back. That's kind of the way they look at this. And it's not a, uh, a religious uh, black and white subject. They're native Israelis, as they say. That's I remember as a, <laughs> I remember as a kid in the uh, in the eighties, I believe that Chuck Norris's Delta Force was uh, him yeah. going around rampaging in Beirut, and of course, Back to the Future, the Libyans <laughs> were the nuclear yeah. uh, things. Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg, <laughs> of course. So they 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 will harp upon whoever is causing them trouble at the moment, or us as well. Uh, also, with in regards to the Beirut bombing, uh, I read, I don't know if it's true, that the Israelis had a heads up that something was going down there and they decided not to pass on the intelligence saying something to the effect of the Americans want to play up there, let them play. Uh, another piece of evidence, perhaps, for our greatest ally. Before we move on, uh, we've still got more to cover. Uh, I think Patrick and I, if he agrees, will have a gentleman's bet here. I suspect the Israelis will go bigger into Gaza because they've painted themselves into a corner and if they don't, don't they'll look like pussies and they might invite greater attacks he thinks it's, it'll be more limited we shall see um i wanted to john darbyshire when, when he was figurative in waking me up pointed out that bef we admitted more muslim immigrants to the united states in the 10 years after 9 11 than we admitted in the 10 years before 9 11 to the point of absolute out of control hypocrisy when it comes to immigration or foreign policy, starting wars against this evil people who are, we are supposedly then just letting in through the front door. They're not, it's not even an invasion. When, when you get welcomed in, uh, you're not an invader. You're just maybe an invasive species uh, regardless. And finally uh, to the point about Congress being in deadlock, Patrick, if there's one key to unlocking gridlock in Washington, D.C. It'll be more money for Israel <laughs> and Ukraine. So oh, yeah, I, suspect right. they'll, I suspect they'll be able to jump that hurdle. Uh, but we got to <laughs> talk about, <laughs> yeah, if, if there's, there's, one there's thing, a will, there's a way. If, if there's <laughs> one thing they can agree on, it's that. And that's and that's literally true, right? That's the, right. That's the one thing that the Republicans and the Democrats absolutely that, well, more debt, absolutely. more debt, more debt and more money for Israel. But we got to talk a li little bit more about Hezbollah. Uh, I want to know whether they are a pure proxy agent of uh, the Ayatollah or whether they have some autonomy. And they, they really seem to be the ultimate wild card here. And they're at least occupying Israeli minds. You know, if they go into Gaza, will Hezbollah really let loose from the north? Uh, Patrick, a little bit more about Hezbollah, and I think you respect them, doesn't mean that you're uh, having beers with them after training exercises. And do you think that they will invade from the north or get really kinetic here? They will. So I think the, so the thing about Hezbollah, and, and I do, I have a great deal of respect for them. Um, I, I, do, I think there's a lot that could be learned from uh, white dissidents can take from Hezbollah. The uh, lessons, and I've written about this multiple times as well. The thing about Hezbollah is that they don't necessarily take everything from Iran. Iran, to 
I mean, this gets much more complex, so just going to go on hours. But bottom line is this. The Iranians are primarily a Jafari school of Islam, the Twelvers. They have the, the Grand Ayatollah Khamenei has a unique and distinct form of Shia Islam. Hezbollah, Nasrallah, who is in charge, who essentially formed um, Hezbollah out of the Amal movement, is a sevener. Ismaili um, Shia Muslim, they each have distinct ideas as it pertains to both religious reasons, but also national reasons. And Hezbollah looks at the Shiite minority, well now, sorry, plurality now in Lebanon. At the time it was a minority. When they first formed their minority, they've essentially bred themselves into a plurality position, and they will breed themselves into a majority position probably in the next 10 to 15 years in Lebanon. The the way Hezbollah looks at this is Hezbollah is the defenders of territories that the Ishmaelis have occupied since the collapse of Islam in the post uh, fourth Imam Ali Caliphate. So this is a very deeply, deeply, deeply intertwined part of who they are. They will. They have relationships with Iran. They're very strong. Iran backs them. They they support Iran as best they could. They coordinated extensively throughout the conflicts with ISIS. There was a lot of failures, by the way. Hezbollah was not very effective in fighting is ISIS, uh, and a large part of that had to do with the fact that the they believed that Western intelligence was coming to ISIS to support ISIS's role in eliminating both Safai Pazran, which is the Iranian um, special forces, and Hezbollah's strongest elements uh, within Hezbollah, is, is military forces in Hezbollah. That said, the way they look at this is, is that the Israelis are literally on the cusp of, they've been striking Hezbollah. The other day there was a report that the Israelis struck an area that they thought Hezbollah had been occupying, turned out to be an empty field. They shot a bunch of uh, small rockets into a, a essentially what was uh, a soccer field, a football field, um, that they thought had a bunch of tents in it. The, the the Hezbollah is looking for an opportunity to strike Israel for a lot of reasons, not least of which is the fact that the Israelis continue to support Sunni Muslim groups within the Lebanese confines that are undermining Hezbollah's control. They've assisted them in bombing uh, members of the Shiite elite community within uh, Lebanon. They've been looking for a pretext to fight the Israelis. They beat them in 2006, by the way. This is something to remind people. The Israelis went into southern Lebanon. They got their asses handed to them, and they ran back into Israel um, as fast as they could. Between their legs, yep. 100%. And, And the Hezbollah is getting stronger and stronger and stronger by the minute because their technology is growing. They've got a drone capacity now. They've got a uh, mini air force now. They have abilities that they did not have in 2006 that can much stronger and much more capably counter uh, Israeli capacity. So I think Hezbollah is just waiting. If if the Israelis go swing into Gaza, which I, I think this is part of the calculation now with Israelis, if they do this, Hezbollah will strike. No question about it. Okay. Well, and if you consider, if you've read some of the different analyses out there, like, you know, how many front war could this turn into, or is it really already, right? There's already border skirmishes with Syria. 
and you have Lebanon and Gaza. Yep. Uh, see, uh, I know we're running short on time here, Patrick. Real quick on Syria. I don't suspect that Assad wants to bite off more here and go for the Golan Heights, but is that within the realm of the possible that he would get involved? I assume Egypt is not going to get involved. And of course, the ultimate question is with the United States there, um, if things start looking hairy for Israel, it's not inconceivable. I'm throwing too many things at you at once. Uh, but uh, we've got a Syria question. Uh, we've got what would drag the United States into it. And uh, I guess, what, what do you what do you think is going to happen? I know it's really hard and you, nobody wants to make ironclad predictions because, you know, more, more times than not, you'll end up with at least some egg on your face. But Syria, what are red lines to bring in U.S. intervention and then uh, chances for WWJ? So I think, um, first of all, the reason why I don't believe that the Israelis are going to go into to, uh, Gaza the way we expect them to. They've been talking about. I think the UN's offering them an out. In that the civilian casualties, there's a lot of talk about that. The United States, Biden's. We know Biden doesn't really control his communications. Is probably one of the spokespeople there, essentially warning them, "Hey, don't go in there. There's a lot of civilians." So I would not be surprised if Israelis use the potential for civilian casualties as a way to back themselves out of a major attack on the on Gaza. They'll strike Gaza, they'll use uh, air, they'll use all these other items, but I do think at the end of the day, they will not do anything. Assad doesn't really have to do anything. Assad's actually in a, in a fantastic place right now. He survived. He essentially survived the U.S. coup. Um, and so <laughs> the, him, the global survivor of the past cool. decade. Par excellence. You know, <laughs> as our, as our African-American brothers would say, he's balling. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, he's, he's okay. You know, he, he doesn't have to worry about he, Assad right now is in a really good place because not only are the Turks beginning to question their alliances with Western, uh, society in general, especially as Turkish democracy is beginning to, again, show, they're showing victories for certain parties that the United States does not necessarily like. So, you know, this is is a much more complex region. And Assad is able to kind of sit back and say, wait, you were not able to depose me and I'm okay. And you're not going to get rid of me. And if you do so, I've got the Russians, the Turks don't want to see Assad. They, they, they like playing with it a little mm -hmm. bit, but they're even kind of like, well, maybe we don't really get rid of this guy and the Iranians. So I think right now the Israelis, the, I would say right now the Israelis are probably in a situation where for the first time in, in easily 50 years, they did not know which way the wind's going to blow. <laughs> and that is a very strange position for them to be in. And again, a lot of this has to do with the fact that there's a, a sort of a sclerotic American political dynamic. Dynamic. You've got, again, Assad doesn't do anything. Assad can literally sit there and say, I can take this if I want to. And what, what are you going to do about it? And, uh, and there's not a whole hell of a lot that the Israelis could do about it. Because the Israelis, this is not 1973. This is not the Yom Kippur War. This is not, we're not talking about 1967. We're not even talking about, we're not talking about any, anything they've ever dealt with before. We're talking about a pretty much so unified anti-American, anti-Western alliance is growing. And Israel now, for the first time, isn't the sole focus of, their, of the animus they're really looking at Israel as really a proxy for American slash Western power.
and they know American powers on the ropes. Yep. And uh, the U.S. aircraft carriers, then you think that they are there more for symbolic deterrence than and hopefully not sitting ducks for a false flag. Of course, the USS Liberty and our friends come to mind. Uh, but, you know, yeah. ju- just what we, we have to be there. Uh, just further confirmation of what we've been shouting from the rooftops for uh, almost a decade now. Um, but, yeah, just a, a, a symbolic yeah. force off the coast. Well, hey, they landed Marines in Israel today, I believe. Yeah. I don't know if they came on, on yeah. shore, but at least their amphibious craft is, you know, docked there or something like that. But real quick thoughts on, on America and our, and our role there. Well, again, the, the bottom line is this. You've got a United States that is in disarray. We know that. Can't meet its military obligations in terms of recruiting. We know that. It, debt is a mess. We have a country that is deeply divided between white, black, what have you might be. There's no longer an American. There's no longer a United States. I mean, the United States as we knew it back in the 1980s is long dead. I mean, that's gone. So there is no, there's just simply no continuity in terms of identity, let alone strategic thought. So if you're somebody looking from the outside in, you're seeing a rapidly collapsing. That's all you do is take a look at a video of Philadelphia, and you know that the United States is on the outs as a power. It's gone. You can do kind of whatever you want. And do you really want to go back and say 1,000 to 2,000 Marines or sailors or what have you died on behalf of a Israel that clearly has shown nowhere near the same level of, I guess, loyalty as such, to the United States as the United States shows to it. Um, all it would take is a couple, I mean, imagine this for a moment, you know, 9-11 being 9-11, Pearl Harbor being Pearl Harbor. What would happen in the event that the Iranians were to strike with an anti-ship ballistic missile, which by the way, the United States has not invested in anti-ship ballistic missile defense since 2015. We stopped all funding for it. So we have not had a, any kind of funding, whether it's Obama, Trump, uh, Biden, for anti-ship ballistic missile defense since 2015. The Iranians, the Russians, they've all developed this incredible, you're talking about different types of hypersonic missiles that are capable of destroying this ship. What happens if one of these aircraft carriers go down? Imagine for a moment that a 3,000 sailors are dead in a minute, gone. You will not, do you have the appetite to go in there and fight in a war in this current American environment? It doesn't exist. And the Iranians know that. All they have to do is take out, I mean, who wants to send it, name a bunch of, you know, soy boys that are crossing their legs and don't know whether or not they're male or female, don't want a bathroom to use, are actually going to go fight a war in, against Iranians um, who just literally just killed 3,000, 3,500 of your, your folks in an aircraft carrier through a missile. You want to go over there and fight that? And it's not beyond the pale to envision this happening. The, this is, these are real strategic scenarios right now that are being discussed. I mean, the Fifth Fleet is open. They're, they are literally, the Fifth Fleet, which is over in the Persian Gulf, mm-hmm. they're sitting ducks. Uh, we've had the Sixth Fleet there for a while. They just sent out another uh, aircraft carrier battle group out of Norfolk about two weeks ago that went into the Mediterranean. So it's in the eastern, well, it's crossing the Gibraltar right now, but it'll be there soon to provide additional support for the Israelis. All this is is just show support. We're not going to go fight these guys. They'll wipe us out. And who's going to, and who, how do you go back and say, hey, black people, um, since we've already demonized every white guy in America, 
we need all you black folks to stand up for America, which has been a systemically racist country against your people for the last several hundred years. But don't worry about it because, you know, we need you to fight for Israel. I mean, that that doesn't fly. Uh, what you had at one time was a bunch of white guys, white Christian boys out of the South who couldn't wait to die for Israel and anything else that's in America, who now are no longer joining the military in any sense. Of the mat- they're not joining. There's no yeah. support for anymore. So, again, you take uh, one missile, you strike an aircraft, uh, aircraft aircraft carrier, and that's it. This this ends. I mean, this is this is how tenuous the situation is right now. And I, I think the Israelis understand Israelis probably understand this more than the Americans do. Interesting. You're you're more optimistic in that sense, and that you suspect that our leaders are. Well, I suspect they're aware of the same things that you just said. I just suspect that they're so arrogant that they think that they can whip us up into a jingoistic fury again with the, at the sight of a ship attack. It worked for them in uh, Gulf of Tonkin, worked for them U.S. as uh, Maine, and worked for them at Pearl Harbor. Uh, we'll see if they have the. The, the wisdom that you're imparting on them. The Israelis certainly are no dummies, and that probably supports your thesis that they're going to be a little bit more restrained rather than unlocking uh, the gates of hell, frankly, if they go in to Gaza balls deep. Pardon my French. Uh, Rolo, <laughs> has to, <laughs> Rolo has to run. Patrick, we could do this for another hour or two easily, but I know you're an early riser. I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing more information in about one hour of uh, programming than I think most of our podcast audience will get anywhere else. I wanted to boost your podcast, Dixie on the Rocks. Uh, I will post the links to that, to your Gab channel, to Identity Dixie, and definitely send me any other writings that you have uh, that may be buried a little bit down in the archives so we can boost them for the audience. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, and you know, y'all have a blessed night. And let's let's hope that this doesn't go uh, the way we think it's going to go. But if it is going to go the way we think it's going to go, <laughs> I'd love to see. Let's get rid of that rat's nest. and. Let's just start over, folks. Let's just make this a white society. We just what we need here. Um, and uh, our enemies are, there's a lot of them. So, again, gentlemen, thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate it. Y'all have a blessed night. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, and best to you and your family. All right, Rolo, you can go. At Rolo, is it a hot date or is it a pinochle game? <laughs> Both. He's pointing at me. <laughs> Rolo was sticking his finger at the camera like he was a uh, not a he was he was he was ISIS there. Rolo said that he was looking at uh, you know one way flights to Beirut to see if uh, he could go have a cold Whoa. one with with uh, no I won't I won't even joke about that. <laughs> He's getting angry. He's got to go. Oh, okay, he cut it. <laughs> He's <son gone>. of <laughs> <a> bitch. <laughs> All right, but it is still recording. Interestingly, all right. So Sam, it's you and yeah. me. Uh, we'll go into the second half, and I wanted to go out with a banger that would motivate people to uh, kick the tires and light the fires under their preps, just in case. Yeah. I, I, th- I think Absolutely. the probability of things going pear-shaped or upside down is greater than Patrick gives, although I hope that he is right, of course, deep in my heart. We have sort of like an angel on one shoulder hoping that, you know, de-escalation and not world war, but then I think there's another part of us that gets excited for this stuff anyway uh i sent this song to tom sewell earlier and i said put this on your ragnarok uh playlist <laughs> this is this is authority by von christen he's a uh, german uh, uh no he's a french dj anyway enjoy sam and i will be right back
right, Sam, let me see if oh, right. I'm, I'm an admin. I can end the recording. All right, hot damn. <laughs> we can keep this in. Maybe Rolo will keep this in. Bit full house behind the scenes. All right. Uh, <laughs> talk to you in a little bit, fam.
And welcome back to Full House, episode 170, part two, second half. Thank you so much to Patrick Martin for coming on to share his wisdom and insights. I guess we should feel, or at least I'll speak for myself, I guess I feel slightly more confident that WWJ is not imminent after listening to his assessment. Uh, he's got the time on the ground there actually uh, meeting and working with some of these groups. He's got more time on this earth as well. And for a lot of these things, especially in areas where I'm not uh, particularly an expert, I tend to go with my gut, which my gut mm-hmm. tells me, my gut tells me here, Sam, still, even after listening to Patrick, that Israeli arrogance, BB up against the wall, feeling the pressure that he has to defend the Jewish state forcefully into Gaza. I don't have confidence that Biden flew in and delivered a stern message to the Israelis to be on their best behavior. Maybe one of his underlings did, or he had some little notes in his decrepit hands that he read behind closed doors. But I just think there's so much arrogance and hubris and idiocy, at least on our end and Israeli Mm -hmm. arrogance for sure, that there's still a good chance that this pops off bigly. It, it does make you wonder what they're looking at. And I'm, I'm, positing that as as an uh a question in my own mind because i certainly don't know better and i don't know all the details but whether it's biden or any of those idiots or the israelis you know what are they looking at that tells them they have the upper hand no matter what you know this the this the u.s military is not invincible it is not a, a bottomless a pit of money that can can just go forever and ever. And it, it just looking at it from where I'm sitting, it just looks very arrogant. Uh, you know, if just look at the kind of the propaganda that you do see, like here's this tiny little country surrounded by all these countries that are hostile to it. I mean, you know, certainly it must be weighing on certainly the average person's mind. Imagine you're there on the ground and you look at that map the emotional reaction at, Hey, they could like a, like a million zombies in a movie. They could all just come swarming. And even if you were taking them out with machine guns or bombs or anything, they could just keep coming and overwhelm that whole country. At least that might be like an emotional kind of a way you might think of it. If I was sure that's what I would be thinking. And even in sending these ships, you know, like you, you, you can't, help but think some sick person in our government would love if somebody had a hold of one 100%. of those russian hypersonic missiles and, uh-huh. and take it out in some some horrible inglorious way some the sight of some aircraft carrier going down oh my gosh that you know I, they would love it somebody somebody is that <laughs> sick that they would love that I forgot to mention the the Lusitania in the list of U.S. ships that went down to help us get into war. The USS Liberty, Mm -hmm. as we heard from the survivors themselves, was an op to send that ship to the bottom of the sea, blame the Egyptians, and justify U.S. intervention in the Six-Day War on behalf of Israel. I mean, Mm -hmm. and now here we are again at one of the most tense moments in the Middle East in recent history, and we've got a fat couple fat ships out there with a newly emboldened Russia, yeah, Russia, China. I haven't seen anybody really issue any pro-Israeli statements. Yeah. Yeah. No, and if anything, they're like I was saying in the first half. There, uh, you're seeing these otherwise very conservative type governments or ministers of governments now making kind of bold statements. Um, yeah, it, it does make you wonder just just how this is going to go. 
you could get a feeling like, you know, so many times something happens and it kind of eventually kind of peters out. Yeah. Horrible things happening. Uh, some atrocities happen. And, uh, but, but then ultimately uh, where does it go? You know? And that's, that's, I think one thing that uh, this might sound like I'm criticizing somebody or somebody's in particular. I'm not. I'm just just an observation. Like that, every single thing that happens, we have to look at it as some sort of bellwether, as you know, as some as some sort of moment when everything changes. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have any bearing on this at all. We are powerless. Absolutely, you and I, or people yeah. like us, we are utterly powerless. And um, we might, uh, there's a temptation to take some sort of pleasure in the bad images of uh, Israelis being killed or tortured or, you know, pictures of hostages or things like that. Um, it's, it, it is natural because when you see what they've done to our society and Western societies in general mm-hmm. and the brutality that has been literally put against you and me personally in our our lives and our careers and things like that it's 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 a natural temptation uh, or a reasonable temptation to see when the bully gets what he's got coming then uh, <laughs> but you know in the long run you can't let yourself get carried away with making too much of that because let's say the arabs completely overran israel the jews are in power here they're completely in power they completely got it under control you know, uh, it, they, they might double down on us with dissidents who don't agree with it or something, if something like that happened. But it's, uh, I don't know, I, it's, it's interesting, of course. It's, uh, it's big world events. But, but um, sometimes you hear certain pundits talk like they're, they're making this all-important point. If you take the opposite point or you don't take the point as strong as they have, it's like, are, are you crazy? Uh, <laughs> I think maybe a little more tempered view of this is uh, called for. For sure. Uh, and yeah, speaking of a tempered view of this, you, know, you mentioning you would think that the Israelis would have slightly more humility, even having Egypt bought you know, bought off with American aid, Jordan bought yeah. off. Uh, Lebanon's a terribly divided, weak country. Hezbollah is strong still. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 fact that they still, I mean, Israel's got nuclear weapons. They've got first world economy. They've got the superpower in their back pocket, and yet still right. they had to expand those settlements. Still, yeah, go. To the it's mosque. a bad look. Still, they had to push. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what goes? <laughs> what goes pronoun- around comes around. You know, if some yeah. if somebody were, like, oh well, you know, trying to justify is and here here real dangerous territory is putting yourself in the shoes of an Israeli. You know, maybe you weren't yeah. responsible for the for the found. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. and you started to push the your neighbors out. You started taking their orchards, taking their land. Uh, you started occupying this, occupying that. You started building a nuclear weapon in your basement. All this stuff. Right. What do you expect from right. the Mus- Muslims other than pure, unadulterated yeah. uh, resentment at best and violent? Oh hatred? yeah. I was re- and, yeah. <laughs> I was reading the Chicago Tribune tonight. I was uh, went over to my mother's place, and I I usually don't I don't touch that dirty <laughs> paper. You yeah. know, I got to scrub my my 
fingernails with lye <laughs> to get the get the disgusting ink of that paper. But uh, it's it's really something to read it read it. How absolutely unanimous the Hamas is terrorists. How yeah. how dare anybody uh, say that they are uh, uh, freedom fighters or any other type of term you want to throw mm-hmm. in there? It's like these are these are people that are completely subjugated and dispossessed, and they that they strike out in the only way that they can, what and then you're expect? gonna yeah. What do you expect? <laughs> This is yeah sure it's if if maybe somebody at church who cares about me or something might say oh come on Sam have a heart you can't possibly be cheering on these deaths and things like that all right all right fine you know I I get it it is ugly and everything like that but what do you expect that is ridiculous yeah it reminds me of an old meme it's an old meme but it checks out and this was ah, maybe 2016 it was Nigel Farage in a sedan. And he's like peering over the window from the back seat at some happening or whatever. And then the next image is the, the window rolls up. That's a little how I feel when yeah. it comes to, yeah. you, know, it is, you know, Israel has imposed a ton of suffering, death, destruction, virtual yeah. slavery in an open air concentration camp in Gaza and a West Bank. Yeah. I, I heard, you know, I forget the stories by now. It's been almost 20 years from that Palestinian delegation, but I took it to heart and I was not inclined to believe them or take it to heart at time but they were so passionate and seemingly honest yeah i did so i'm kind of you know at at work or at best i guess i'm like nigel farage with the window rolling up you know my name is not paul and that's between y'all uh yeah right good luck good luck with that and uh, no i do not the united states does not stand with israel that is one of those old cliches reminds me you know it's like old soviet times where they're just breaking out the old hits but they don't hit they don't slap as well as they used to (laughs) <laughs> and that's and that's why I wonder, you know, what are they looking at? Because they are confident and arrogant, and I For don't sure. know that they're not right. That they they know they can draw on all kinds of military military reserves. They have all kinds of, you know, there's somebody who's thinking moves ahead. I used to play chess, especially when I was in high school, you know, and you got to think about seven moves ahead, and yeah. uh, some somebody's thinking ahead, and what. You know, what are they looking at that that makes them see this so differently? Yeah. And I, I, if we had more time with Patrick, I wanted to pick his head about what, you know, what are the Iranians thinking here? I mean, they're close yeah. to having a nuke uh, with this going down. I have to figure that they're probably looking more eagerly toward that. There's restrictions yeah. on the rocket development that expire. Some UN sanctions on them yes. exporting rocket technology expires in a few days. Uh, there's, there's so many incredible variables going down here. It, it makes me feel like I have to, uh, I need a drink after that first half, Sam. And I wanted to share with yeah. the audience too that they're in for a special treat here. It's just you and me, big guy Rolo's off on well, a date. Patrick's yeah. going to cut Z's. I am having a, this is extraordinarily rare. I'm not just having bourbon. I'm having good bourbon and it's high powered. It's high mm-hmm. octane, 162 proof. Booker's is 80. Woo. Woo. Is it you having it on the rocks with some water on there? One twenty six. I did throw a couple rocks in there, like a woman. But uh, yeah, my old man visited uh, last weekend, which is why we didn't do this show and why I was a little preoccupied. And he said, you know, I got a couple bottles of bourbon that I don't want. I'm not going to drink them. Do you want them? Mm. And I said, well, I, I personally don't want them, pops. But my wife loves bourbon, so bring them. And sure as hell, after uh, we got a little date night out while they were watching the kids, we came home. My mom and dad were still up and in good spirits, so we cracked a bottle 
a bottle of uh, what the hell was it? And I can't remember. It wasn't Booker's. Uh, but we sat around the kitchen table and had some bourbon, all of us, and uh, had a jolly old time talking about everything. So, uh, Sam, cheers. What are you having, if anything, right now? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you caught me on a on a night. You know, we've been talking on and off all week. What day can we yeah. do this? When Patrick is uh, available, and then Rolo, when is he available? Going back yeah, and forth, and um, and then I, unless I missed something, it was kind of all of a sudden. Uh, hey, we're we're having the show tonight. So normally I go out and I get something, whatever I'm in the mood for. It could be mezcal, could be some beer, could uh-huh. be some wine. But I so I really didn't have anything. Um, my uh, son had a bit of uh, dry vermouth left over, which I polished mm. off. So uh, <laughs> it's not really something you usually drink straight up. Yeah, yeah I, really, I really didn't have anything. So I usually like to have All something right. to sip on during the show. So, no, yeah. I'm sorry. Shame, shame on me. Yeah. yeah, we did throw it together pretty uh, last minute. It was uh, up to Patrick's schedule and et cetera. I remember I was at a uh, college fraternity party once. You, you mentioned, like, you know, draining mm. the last of the vermouth. And uh, we, we had, we had kick the keg raided the cabinets or whatever it's like three o'clock in the morning and me and one of my buddies were looking through and we found some cooking sherry the show coming up that i know you're working on but yeah. uh, and it's it, you know i i missed this the last show during the sex show but it's almost good that i didn't say it because uh a good number of people have signed up for cantwell's uh network yeah. damn dog is driving me crazy but certainly the majority of our thousands of listeners have not heard that sex show. It is a relative oh. small proportion who have gone over to uh, pay the, you know, six bucks for something like that. Yeah. So just do it guys. Listen to it. Even, yeah. yeah. Even if he doesn't just disagree. Um, go ahead. Sam. Yeah. Well, I, I think you can go like by the month. You don't have to sign up for a whole year oh. or anything. Oh no, not at all. It's by the month. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. So it's like, what is, what did you say? It's five, 10 bucks, something like that. It's normally uh, 10 bucks. Use code full house. F U L L H A U S to get 33% off your first three. You know, the, the oh, discount is go. good for three yeah. months, but you can cancel. You can cancel anytime. Yeah. You know, if, if you've just, enjoyed the show, just go to the show. And, and I can see the guys in the audience going, I don't want to give my credit card information. All right. Well, so go get it. Go get a debit card. Do the, you know, go to the grocery store and get one of those prepaid, yeah. you know, uh, cards. If you want and put your name as, you know, Shlomo Shekelstein, uh, and do it not just for well, us, but for people. I did. Uh, I did. Despite that, uh, not everybody's jumping in there to uh, get it just yet. I did get some good feedback on the show. Uh, did you? Uh, I I got mixed feedback. I got fr- oh, friendly right. mixed uh, feedback. Hold uh, the damn dog is chewing on my daughter's. Uh, okay. All right, hold on. Uh, <laughs> okay. Hold on. What's sure. I'll be right back. Audience, we're really flying by the seat of our pants with that roller here, but I want to save that <laughs> hair clip. Well, be right back. Get off. Yeah, I, uh, she, I, I was like two seconds too late. Son of a gun. This is a nice one. Damn dog. Anyway, she's a sweet dog, but she still loves to chew on stuff. Uh, but no, uh, go ahead, Sam. Uh, share your feedback, please. Sorry. For yeah, that. no, no. Yeah, I just I, I did have good, good uh, feedback. And uh, I hope people will uh, listen to it. I, I thought it was a very uh positive and productive and useful show. Um, but you know, when, when I, uh, it's often the case, but certainly in something like that, I, I do second guess myself. I don't know if I come across as a type of person who's, uh, (laughs) that type, you know, uh, not confident. Um, I am confident in a way, but I also, I do second guess myself on something like that. Did I, did I say too much? Did I overplay it? Mm -hmm. Did I, you know, should I have said that? Should I, should, should I not have said that? 
did I leave something out I really wanted to to have in there? I do uh, question myself a little bit. Did I oversell it? You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to put it forward in the strongest, best way, the things I've learned, things I've observed. But, you know, did I oversell it? Am I making myself sound too great at this or something? But then um, we were uh, last weekend, we were going to this uh, Catholic homeschool formal in the area. Okay. The Catholic homeschoolers, they have this formal every year. And it's, it's wonderful because uh, all the teenagers in the group they dress up nicely. Uh, some wear suits or at least a nice dress shirt and pants. The girls all wear nice dresses, some very formal dresses. And then uh, they they have a dinner and and they dance, uh, square dance, Virginia Reel, those type of, some line dancing, things like that. Lovely. And um, so it's a lot of fun. And uh, my wife and I volunteered to be chaperones because we do have to take them there anyways. And it's uh, just a certain distance, a certain distance that it's far enough. We may as well just stay there, you know? So, so, um, so we were, we were going to it anyway. So we were going to dress up too. So, so we were, uh, we, we were up there, uh, we had to get ready and it was kind of getting down to the last minute. Like we're pushing that we're going to be late. We're supposed to be there and help set up by a certain time. And so we're up, we're up there. We say, okay, we got to get dressed up. Got to get dressed up. I'm going to wear a, a nice, uh, outfit. She's putting on a nice dress. And all of a sudden, boom, it happened right there. You know, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. we had a little encounter right then and there. So then I felt, <laughs> I felt better about like, no, I wasn't overselling it. This, this really is this, uh, you know, we do have this great passion after over 20 years together. It, yeah. You know, when I, when I was younger, I think I, I used to think about, oh, you know, do you, do you, uh, you know, like there's maybe a girl you liked in school, but then pretty soon you didn't even find her attractive anymore. You know, is that how marriage would be? Do you, you, you find somebody really attractive and then it kind of wears off or what if, what if your wife gains weight or what if, you know, a whole bunch of yep. things that, uh, it really doesn't work like that, you know? So that's, that's, uh, one of the things I wanted to get across in that show. And I repeat it now for people who maybe aren't going to pay a couple bucks to hear that episode, but, um, Marriage really doesn't doesn't work like that. I would say that it's, uh, you know, if if it's pursued the right way, you know, there's there's just this energy. It's it's a human need, first of all, you know, to uh, have intimacy and love and and all those types of things. And uh, you do kind of get hooked on it like a drug addict. And uh, um, the thing is, there's there's just a, a natural sexual tension that that gets in the air, so to speak, and. Uh, it, it, you know, if it's healthy, then, you know, those little moments are going to pop up like that. You know, it's like I say, here we were trying to rush to get ready to make this thing. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, we had, had a little whoopee. So, uh, Absolutely. Anyways, the, the, yeah. the, the, the quickies are, uh, you know, that that's actually like an acceptable thing. When I was younger, oh, I used to think that it always had to be this like, you know, production. Elaborate. Yeah. yeah. You know, lots of time and candles and like, you know, but no, like, mm. you know, women, women are actually okay with just, you know, getting down mm -hmm. spontaneously time and again. Um, on fullhousemembers.com, which is what you get access to. And I'm not, believe me, audience, I'm not doing, I'm really not doing a hard sales pitch. If you haven't gotten it yet, you won't get it. But there is comments that actually work there because Cantwell, he told me he spends about half his time on IT stuff and the rest of the time 
He's focused on making outstanding comment, you know, content. He's a one-man show. Uh, John Doe just said, great job on keeping it practical and full of great advice. I normally don't give in to paywalls, but was confident you guys would deliver on great content. Happy to support oh, yeah. family-centric content moving forward. And I This is worth it. Yep. This is worth it for sure. And even if you disagree too, because I and yeah. here's the here's the great thing, uh, Sam. Wifey and I uh, went to a wedding uh, last Sunday. Our guy uh, wedding. We hadn't been to a oh, wedding yeah, in a yeah. while. We got all dressed up. It was wonderful. So after having a nice time there, had a long drive back home. I said, "Do you want you do you want to listen to it?" You know, I was like, "Oh, is this a good <laughs> idea?" Or whatever. You know, we, we had a good time so far. I don't want to. Yeah. I, you know, I, I honestly didn't know if she was going to enjoy it, hate it. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. But we enjoyed listening to it together. And there were parts where she was like, yeah, you know, that's nonsense or I disagree with that. And there were parts where yeah. I was like, yeah, I, di I didn't agree with this part or that part. Um, but, uh, you know, you uh, it, I won't try to characterize all the different guests and, and their takes on things. Uh, but every but it, again, to your point about how uh individual it is to a person yeah. in terms of what's important to them their comfort level their aggression level uh their yeah. their frequency level and all that yeah. stuff what they yeah. like to do what they don't like to do uh etc mm -hmm. it was all over the board and that was inevitable that was the other thought was and it was partially my fault because what we should have done was go through and just fisk you know take your take your points your eight points and your eight pages yeah and just go through them one-on-one -on -one, whereas i was like we have to cover all of the positions and <laughs> the, the do's and the don'ts from virgins to you know senior citizens yeah. etc and it was just too much we couldn't get there uh, one of the yeah. semi-negative comments I got was like, you horn, it was something like you horn dogs. Like it's about, uh, respect for each other. And it's not so much about the, like, if you respect each other, the sex will come. And I was like, yeah. okay. I mean, they, that true, but like there's, yeah. Well, there's, there's just, you know, the, the idea, like, as we said in the show or the original idea was, you know, there's so there is, I grew up on these stupid sex shows, these uh, radio talk shows where the advice was always bad. Like it would be kind of interesting discussion. And then at the end of it, she'd say like, well, you just have to try that. And if you think that it might be okay, then go with it where you're screaming at the, the radio, no way, stop, you know, leave that guy. And, uh, you know, my idea was just there, people do have questions and problems and, and uh, yeah, there is not any one approach or one answer, but maybe hearing different ideas or different uh, ways of thinking about it might uh, give somebody some ammunition of uh, uh, an angle to take a uh, approach that they hadn't thought of before. And uh, if yeah. it helps one person, you know, it's always worth it. And one other thing I, that I didn't uh, broach at all on the show, but it occur, it, it's occurred to me in the past and it did after listening, was the idea of what sex was like for the vast majority of our ancestors. I'm oh, talking yeah, about sure. like hundreds, hundreds, thousands of years. You know, we mm -hmm. have, uh, you know, more or less, uh, regrettably, the image of you know, uh, shaved and showered and like a clean yeah. bed and a private right. bedroom. But I suspect, I don't know that the overwhelming majority of sex for our ancestors was 
a little bit simpler, <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like that, the tree out in the woods or, uh, you know, just, yeah. uh, you know, sort of face to face, you know, <laughs> either missionary, uh, cowgirl or the, well, let's not get too explicit since we're not behind the well, paywall, but, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that whole, like our, our hypersexualized modernity has warped us a little bit. I suspect from what sex was like for the vast True. majority of our well, I think there's there's been different times in history, you know, where it's probably gone through different things. I mean, if you consider some of the Tantra stuff that I mentioned, that goes back many thousands of years. So uh, fair, I think there there, there, there there was like a developed sense. But, you know, it's just like how history goes. It goes in cycles. There's knowledge is gained and then knowledge is lost. And it's driven by different circumstances. Uh, like you say, you know, people that had to work many hours and and uh, had to work very hard. How, Agricultural you know, how, people. Yeah. yeah. How how creative were they or how much were they, you know, going to do the uh, carnival barker and, this, and the uh, vaudeville girl that's down on her luck? You know, I mean, those scenarios wouldn't even make sense to them. But I suppose some thing of what I wanted to capture in that is, is, our ancestors, they had a natural rhythm that that brought that drove their sex life. And I think that's how it drives me too. I'm natural I'm busy. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm busy doing a lot of things, I think worthwhile things. And I'm I'm a vigorous person, uh, physically vi vigorous and active, and that appetite just naturally comes up and and I go for it. You know, I feel sure. the drive very naturally and I and I, that's whether whether uh there's a certain outfit that turns you on or uh you like um uh, role play or some some yeah. uh, tantric position or whatever it is. I, uh, regardless, uh, you know you can capture that that the most important thing, which is the natural desire that man has for woman. Like, That's right. Like, and you yeah. said before, and you said before, Sam, about how you know a hundred, two hundred, three hundred years ago, just catching the glimpse of a woman's calf out in the field, yeah, you know, while he's picking <laughs> potatoes, that would be enough to get your motor, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There was no no uh, pornography. There were no magazines. There was no TV. There, you know, none of that type of the only the only type of stimulation you got in that department was that you know yep. your wife. And, uh, and, and maybe we need to kind of, I'm not saying that, oh, that's fine. Be a fat slob. Your, your husband or your wife will like you that way. No matter. No, no, I'm not. Saying, <laughs> don't be a fat slob. I mean, try to, you know, we're all trying to do our best, you know, and we should all try to do our best, but, but yep. regardless, even if somebody is fat, just using that as <laughs> that doesn't mean that uh, the people don't enjoy sex or can't enjoy sex in a very healthy way. Absolutely. Yep. And that's the taking it down to not being so serious and, you know, just, yeah. just, just, just let it happen. And if you got some rolls or some wrinkles or whatever, yeah. uh, you just turn, that's why you turn the lights out for it, dummy. <laughs> that's been a trend for, 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 for centuries. <laughs> Dim it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there you go. Yep. All right. Uh, good. Yeah. Good stuff. Go check it out. If you want surreal dot com and uh, get, get a membership, use full house or, you know, if you use full house, then uh, Chris knows that you came from our audience and I'll stop with the shameless shilling. I saw somebody was like, I thought the paywalls were for uh, grifters and shills. I said, buzz off. I've first off, right. I've never said that. <laughs> I, I, I do not disparage anybody who is putting some stuff behind the paywall. Frankly, I'm angry that the Russians with attitude have some of their stuff behind 
behind the paywall because I really like listening to their stuff. But I just I never fin like I almost never finish a podcast. There's so much stuff out there that I put it on. I listen as until life intervenes. Sometimes I make it through the end of it, but it's just impossible to go back and consume everything. So I'm like, all right, thank you for the freebie. I'll move on. I've been generous to content creators in the past uh, for sure. So I don't feel too much guilt about stuff like that, but yeah. It's five bucks or whatever, six bucks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and Cantwell has good stuff. If you, if you've listened Absolutely. to his uh, podcast, Absolutely. it's yeah. So, I mean, check it out. It's a couple bucks. You'll enjoy it and you don't have to continue with it. Yep. I don't, I don't agree with Cantwell uh, necessarily on, well, I certainly don't agree on everything, but sometimes I have big disagreements with him, but you can't argue that he didn't put a ton of thought and reasoning and logic and, mm -hmm. frankly, you know, entertaining persuasion. I've never, I, I laugh quite regularly at Chris's stuff. Uh, honestly, yes. when he, when, uh, what we listened to what we listened to on the way to the wedding was Chris interviewing uh, Simon Roche of the Suitlanders oh, yeah. uh, from, from South Africa. And it, Yes. We, were, we were half cracking up at Simon, Simon sex show there. And I feel bad yeah. for our correspondent, the visitor who wrote in because he didn't get mentioned last week. It's late. Who knows? And now we're late in the second half of this episode. But he said, Hey coach, just a brief note to tell you a few weeks ago, I, we brought a healthy, adorable, and very demanding white baby boy into this world. Our first child, I've been looking forward yeah. to sending this email for a while with a smiley face. Hope you all are doing good. I'm very behind on the show and slowly catching up. Bless you all, the visitor. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yep. Difficult. Yeah, baby. congratulations. Difficult firstborn boy. Yeah, I'm mm. familiar with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I had uh, I heard about one. I'll just mention uh, please quickly. Yeah. yeah, well, I was at... Um, I was at a birthright practice, um, and uh, Fasine. They were uh -huh. they both had a had an open practice, and I was hanging out with some guys, and um, it was a lot of fun. They they got a gig coming up. I guess I I won't say exactly when or where it is because you know we don't need any extra problems for them. Yep. But let uh, me know and, when yeah, it comes out for for sure. And uh great guys, of course, as you know them and uh excellent music. But uh the, anyways, there was someone there who I found out the the uh, I guess she's a girlfriend is pregnant, so I'll mention that one nice. as a uh, another one. That's nine I'm tracking right now. There's nine <laughs> nine ladies that I know cuz I I say my my little prayers every night and I remember these nine ladies just to uh if I can help them in some way, you know, to You're you're like a Hezbollah that. uh radar operator, Sam. You know, you're you're but <laughs> you're, you're not tracking the enemy. You're you're, tra you're tracking friendlies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, to the, yeah, to that point, and I wanted to piggyback off the first half uh, a little bit and a little mm -hmm. kick the tires, light the fires moment for our audience. Uh, we, we all know that we have overreacted to situations. I'm, I've been guilty of this on numerous occasions. When Trump attacked Syria, I ran out and like gassed up the car. I was in high dudgeon. I was you know bouncing off the walls in, in anger as well as like preparatory yeah. stuff. Uh, if you remember when Trump whacked Soleimani, one of the Iranian mm. premier uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps uh, leader, I believe he was in Iraq. I thought that might kick off stuff in the Middle mm -hmm. East. 
Um, so there's a little bit of uh, feeling like, oh, well, I don't have power over what's going on in that big, bad world out there, but I do have power over this, that, and the other thing. And sometimes we're cheap when it comes to preps, uh, justifiably cheap, right? We're like, I don't have money to add to my mountain house supply right now, right? Or I really don't mm. want to spend $7,000 on a backup generator for my house right now. But the world is dangerous. The United States is yeah. collapsing. The dollar is getting weaker. The interest rates are rising. The market is shaky. And there is a non-zero, I give it still 15, 20% chance that things go absolutely bonkers in the Middle East as a result of all this. And at minimum, go out and make sure you got those jerry cans filled. Make sure... Now, in the United States, is it likely that the water is going to shut off or the power is going to go out? Probably not. Um, but just making sure that you got calories, even if you just do the thing where you go to Walmart and buy those 40-pack of water bottles and stack them in yep. the back of your car, stuff like that. It is peace of mind. It gives you something to do, a little bit of control over your situation, and you don't want to get caught with your pants down when the shit hits the fan. Um, so I would just remind everybody out there that at, it was just a week and four days ago that Hamas busted out of their concentration camp, their Jewish concentration camp. And uh, since then, there's been, you know, oh, my God, it's happening. Oh, okay, what's going on? <laughs> the, the Ayatollah is monitoring the situation. Oh, okay, now, you know, now they're, they're shooting fireworks at the embassy, all this stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but we are in a heightened threat environment. No, I'm not worried about Hamas uh, popping off here, although certainly there are Muslim crazies in our country. Uh, mm -hmm. One guy what, one guy I know said, you know, Coach, if I, uh, if I see Hamas on the street, you know what I'm going to do? I said, well, you're going to report him to your local FBI agent, of course, aren't you, buddy? <laughs> he said, no, I'm going to give him a pat on the back. <laughs> say, you know, what, are you doing? what are you doing here? <laughs> the, fight, the fight's over there, dumbass. Uh, I'm joking. Right. But, you know, that's, you know, that there's there's all sorts of variables out there. And the the core responsibility of the function is for uh, your family, as Sam knows well. Uh, so that's happening fatigue versus overreaction, excitement. Well, guys. I, Go ahead. I think that uh, be, because we we can't know what's going to happen next, but uh, if you use your imagination, you know, it's when there's multiple things happening there there's there are unforeseen complications that can happen that could make this very complicated and the u.s is uh the, the just the way it looks to me the u.s is overextended 100%. and yeah but you get this these crazy quotes like this uh, janet yellen oh we can afford to have two wars right now we can i mean it's it's insane you know the way these people think is just insane oh. yeah but, to them to them we yeah. can afford it right you know because because they're not gonna get, they're not going to get stuck with the bill they have an ethno state for now <laughs> that, sure, she can yeah. that she can return to um and i'm looking up at the as you say that sam i'm looking up on my bookshelf and old uncle pat uh Suicide of a superpower. Will America survive to 2025? He picked 2025. And he was a wise old man. Still is. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he, you know, he had to retire from writing columns. Um, yeah, the yeah. the hour the hour is getting late, fam, and it's simultaneously terrifying and exciting. And for me, my my lodestar here. And it's it's an admission of fallibility for sure. Is if the if the power goes out, you know, EMP, cyber attack on all the major American electric utilities, uh, 
we would survive, but we would be severely uncomfortable. And I suspect most people sure. who live, you know, anywhere, uh, you know, we have, we have a stream on our property. We got fish and deer running right. around all that stuff in terms of long-term, you know, anybody can survive off a mountain house for long enough, but if the power goes out for an extended period of time and all that food that you got, you know, maybe frozen in a chest freezer without a, a standby generator for a long-term stuff, that's not working. If you're on a well and there's an electric uh, pump down there, that's not working. And your septic has a pump in it and that's responsible for pushing all the, the poop down the hill and that's not working yeah. uh all your bodily functions are going on outside you want to take a bath or a shower in the winter you're going down in the stream uh hard hard stuff you'd survive yeah. perhaps if you did enough stuff but it would be very uncomfortable and whether you're going to bug in or bug out i won't beat a dead horse i'm sure we have a lot of new uh listeners on this show as a result of the crisis and uh the awesome guests and stuff like that but go back we've got a lot of um prepping shows that are some of our best i think there's tons of prepping content out there but we just hit on the hard points and the important points uh as reminders and inspiration and i talked to one of our uh, buddies i forget by what name he went by when he came on the show sam but we are mm. swimming in chicken eggs here humble bread you know, after, <laughs> after all my anxiety about the chickens not laying eggs and too many roosters and the raccoon massacre of 2022 and the stupid guinea fowls I'm looking behind me, you know, anybody who visits is getting eggs. You know, the neighbors are getting eggs. I haven't set up yeah. the roadside stand yet. Uh, and that's just with six hens, <laughs> six, six, six hens are, and oh, and four ducks, three of whom are female, uh, where we got eggs out the wazoo. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and I still got more, you know, animal husbandry stuff, uh, to come. Uh, but I just wanted to, uh, remind the audience that this is serious and the you remember the doomsday clock it's still around the, the yeah. seconds to, to nuclear annihilation like i don't know if they're still doing it there's the debt clock there's the doomsday clock but that thing definitely took a couple clicks toward 12 uh as of uh the past week um yeah do you have anything else in your stack, Sam? I got one or two more things, but it's over. Well, I was. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, got uh, the, I've got the bookers flowing, so I could just talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to mention uh, in regard to the current events. Another aspect yeah, of please. this is the um, you know the the notion of many white Americans when it comes to religion and this the way that this their the way that they're. Christian belief involves Israel. Uh, this I, I work with a certain amount of Protestants that are, you know, very. Uh, 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 what's the word? Uh, they have that type of understanding. I guess many religious people do. Uh, I, I know. I, I think I'm correct to say that uh, Patrick uh, kind of shares my outlook on. Um, that topic as far as like with Christian identity, but um, I won't put any words in his mouth either. But um, uh, the thing is that in the religion in this country, especially is revolves around viewing these people in, in Israel as the chosen people. And the, some of the, uh, the notion that comes out of 
this this type of Christian's mouth is is disgusting. They they look at these Jews as even being closer to God than they are, which I don't know why they bother to become Christian. They should just become you know, convert right, to Judaism yeah. or something. Oh, whole Why? hog. It's like yeah. invasion of the body snatchers, you know? It's like- <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and, but that, that is for me through the years has been a real uh, point of frustration is dealing with these people. Sometimes it's uh, like a midwit phenomenon of, of where, uh, they they know just enough to be dangerous, and it's it's hard to even challenge their notion because sometimes they don't come across as really smart enough to yes. to like think things through on a in a better, more complete way. So that is an aspect of this that is uh, not to be underestimated, and the the way that these type of Judeo-Christian Americans look at things, you, it, it's no clearer than in the propaganda coming out now. I was just seeing this video of this uh, Karen Shem and then the daughter Mia Shem, who's mm-hmm. a very attractive looking woman, is a hostage and she was injured. Yeah. And so Americans see that and they see even the, the beginning of this thing here, there's some kind of music festival and it, you know, everything about it is the, the American person looks at that and they identify with that. And she then, yep. Yep. Yeah. It could, and, it could be my daughter. Yep. Yeah. And then, but by contrast, the Palestinians or, or, or any other Muslim group, when they're seen in a group setting or when they're talking in front of a camera, they do seem very alien and they do seem like really different and maybe even scary or threatening in certain respects. So a lot of those those kids and babies and victims look mm -hmm. very white though, Sam, you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. Right. You know, the the Mm -hmm. media probably selects for the bearded man, you know, with the brown Mm -hmm. skin, who's Mm -hmm. shouting Allahu Akbar. Uh, Mm -hmm. But when you, when you look at some of those victim photos, a lot of those Palestinian kids look as white or whiter than, than, you know, Jewish victims. Yeah. Right. But that, yeah, that, that, uh, you know, that, that is an element, I think, because many people, like we call them the midwits, right? They don't think things through to like a, you know, nor do they have the, the good instinct of what we would call like the left side of the bell curve, you know, (laughs) the, you know, the, I hate to say like lower IQ, but let's just say there's the, you know, the more simpler outlook, simpler simpler outlook that people that are governed governed by their instinct, which is good, by the way. And then you have like the people who've maybe read a lot or paid attention to things uh-huh. they understand. But this midwit person is uh, kind of dangerous in a way because the, in a, in a, in a, the, uh, the, the system is relying on that person. They watch Fox keep, news and they think yeah. that they're well-informed. Yep. Right. Exactly. And, and it's, it's just, um, it's, it, it 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 is something to consider maybe somebody's listening to this and 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 uh, dismissing this but i i remember i watched this uh uh documentary on tubi uh we just have like the the, <laughs> yeah, the free yeah. the free <laughs> roku cup. yeah we can watch the world cup for free on tubi <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, yeah uh you know we used to have years ago we used to have cable that it just got so expensive i said this is first of all it's garbage most of it and and uh, it's getting so expensive 
expensive. We just got rid of it. We got the the Roku, and um, you know, there's a lot of free stuff on there. And I, I just like to watch uh, mostly the documentaries if I watch anything at all. I don't like to sit for that much amount of time but i was watching this one documentary it's uh i wish i could remember the name of it just now i should have looked it up but it's it's whatever one of those uh yiddish type words and it's uh the the and the byline of it was the the uh mysterious life of the hasidim something like that it was mm, yes. uh, and and so it's, it was a documentary about them and I'm sure the makers of it were thought they were doing a job, good job putting them in a positive light, but they do come across as weird some of it. But the the one the one image that I would point out to people they show they show the school where they have all the kids going in the and I mean it's it's heartbreaking because here's all these blonde hairs and blue uh, blonde hair blue eyes and red hair. I mean these children would look to the untrained person extremely white, you know, mm-hmm. and with their kind of um, their semi Amish kind of ways about them, I can yeah. imagine, you know, many Judeo Christians are ensnared into this mm-hmm. illusion of what, what these people are, who these people really are, right. you know, but, but I think that this is getting to the subconscious drivers that are, are what motivates these midwit type people. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that their subconscious racial instincts yeah. are what yes. makes them cucks on the Israel yeah. and the JQ. Yeah, it's really <laughs> something. Yeah, I mean, and and of course, if they dig a little bit deeper, you know, you got Aryan-looking Lebanese and Palestinian, sure, sure, Coptic, I, well, yeah, the Coptic Christian, uh, Coptic Egyptians, sure, uh, but you know, all, the, all, all the way over to Afghanistan, all all of Alexander's yeah. adventures. Uh, I still, used to, yeah. I used to have it. At, I I don't know if it's on YouTube anymore. At one time, I downloaded it, and then my computer crashed. I didn't have a backup, but there used to be a, a video on YouTube. Somebody should look it up. It's called like. Aryans around the world or something like that. And <laughs> there, there are little pockets of people in very rural areas in China, India, Pakistan, all through the Middle East, for sure. Absolutely. Egypt, yep. Egypt, uh, Palestine, Jordan, Syria. All There are, I mean, these people are as white as white could be from blonde hair, blue eyes or red hair or golden hair, whatever. And of course, black hair, does, those people are white too. Black hair, blue eyes, yeah. green eyes whatever it is uh and i i i kept that i would show that to people i'd say you you think you understand this this movement or this feeling that we have but this is a worldwide movement that we have and there are there are white people all over the world the palestinian muslim sam who was most uh not aggressive but persistent in trying to get me to pray with him at the mosque mm-hmm. i can i can picture him uh like i like as if he were here yesterday, he was about five foot five. He had crystal, mm-hmm. cl- crystal clear blue eyes and whiter mm-hmm. skin than I, than I did. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and, that was, and, and that was a little bit jarring too. I was like, who, you know, who's yeah. this little, little uh, Palestinian leprechaun trying to get me to go to the mosque. <laughs> um, yeah. Isn't that something? But, yeah. And, and the yeah. thing is he, he wasn't, he wasn't aggressive about it. He wasn't like, you must, you know, bow down to Allah. He was simply doing his duty. Now, of course, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not cooking for Islam. I, I am not an adherent for sure. Uh, but my, my dad told me once, he said, most people are the religion that their parents were. 
Uh, and that's, and that's that. And for the Muslim Islamic world, most of those people are Islamic because that's where they were born. That's what they were brought up with. And they are true to the faith of their fathers. Um, and I will at least, you know, I'm not going to tip my fedora to them, but I'll at least, you know, acknowledge the reality that if I, you know, you know, in a, in a different universe and I was born in Saudi Arabia or Syria or Iraq or whatever, I would have been brought up Islamic. I would have been taught that Muhammad was the greatest thing since uh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and if I, and, and I would not have been in a society like the one that I actually grew up in where deviation from that was so easy or so encouraged. Mm. Right. You know? Um, well, so yeah, there's, there's many good things we could observe about them. However, that yeah. religion is absolutely a racial misogynist yes. type, uh, uh, interracial religion. If ever there was one, it is, it is, they, they want uh, to assimilate the entire world. Yeah. You will, you will either convert, or you will pay the jizya, or you will be, you know, put to the sword. They don't yeah. all subscribe to that, but that's what's in their writings. Yep. Well, and it specifically says racially that, uh, hey, as long as you are a Muslim, then that is the the, the that's where all the interracial. Uh, that's how the Middle East became brown is because of that religion. And you might say, somebody might be saying, well, Christianity, Christianity. is the same thing. <laughs> I was going to say it, Sam, but you, did, you beat but me to it. <laughs> up, up until 1967, when a Supreme Court ruling uh, overturned the laws that were in almost every state in this country. Loving v. Virginia. Would, yeah, yes. <laughs> and overturned that. And th- those were Christian states, Christian times that people outlawed interracial marriage and every minister and every preacher was just fine with that. So uh, it's race mixing has come later to Christianity. And I would say true Christianity would not allow it. Yep. And it came at the soft sword of Jewish power and influence. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. I wonder if they chose that uh, plaintiff loving because of his last name. You know, they're like, oh, this, this will make good propaganda. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Love Randy, is love. Yeah. Lo- loving <laughs> versus Virginia. Got a side on the side of love. Uh, we're coming close to the end of the second. Sam, this has been oh, an okay. absolute wow. delight. The, the time is the time is flown by. Flown by. Well, sure has. Yeah. We're, we're going to have to create a, a full house shoot off, you know, Sam and coach. <laughs> no, no Rolo, no Rolos allowed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every week. By the way, check out the final storm. I don't boost uh, Rolo enough, uh, partially because the content of that show is not totally up my alley. It's culture and entertainment well, and stuff like that. But you you I, listen every week, Sam. Yep. I do listen because um, I, I was telling Rolo this, and I'll just briefly re- repeat my remarks. I remember when I was a little kid, and by that I mean like, 11, 12, maybe 13 at the most. And I, I love to, we used to get the, the uh, newspaper every day at my house and I would spread the, open the paper and spread it out. And especially the movie section, because yep. uh, we had Gene Siskel in the Chicago uh-huh. Tribune. And then uh, Roger Ebert wrote for the uh, Sun-Times and the Chicago Tribune, that was the Republican or the conservative newspaper. And then the Sun-Times was the liberal or Democrat paper 
paper. Now they're both liberal Democrat papers. Right. But yep. uh, the, the, uh, the Tribune, Sam, real quick, uh, reading mm. Stalin's War by Sean McMeekin, uh, the Tribune was a bastion of skepticism towards U.S. support for the Soviet Union. Yes. They, 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 were, they were like, why in God's name are mm -hmm. we, the United States, giving all this aid or talking about all this aid to communist, atheistic, you know, megalomaniacal, genocidal Soviet Union? Uh, yeah. Huge respect for those editors back there, and they broke them down. I, I didn't mean oh, yeah. to derail there, but I wanted to give a shout out to the old trib. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and and you're exactly right. And uh, uh, but now it's garbage. It's total garbage. But yep. <laughs> back in the day, even the smell and the feel of the newspaper, you know, mm -hmm. spreading it out on on the floor or on the dining room table, or had enough room to open those big pages that were difficult for a child to manage. But I would open them up, and I like to read uh, the huh. movie reviews or or. Um, you know, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the comics, uh, mm -hmm. that's uh, currently that's well, uh, for many <laughs> years, I've made the joke that was the only good and, and uh, trustworthy part of this paper anymore. But since right. they kicked they kicked Dilbert out, I don't even read that anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what they've taken from us, <laughs> you can't it, even read the comics anymore. Nope. It, it really is. It's it's a horrible paper. But so anyways, as I was telling Rolo, I said, you know, as I got to be a teenager and I was getting to wise to the way things were, I really soured on the entertainment industry and Hollywood and Hollywood movies and to where I, I was really, you know, I, I just discarded all that, but, but hearing his podcast, uh -huh. it kind of, it kind of makes me think again, like this is an important part of sure. the society, you know, movies, there's still the thing. I remember David Duke saying one time, like, for him and his wife, he still thinks about the thing of going out to for a dinner and a movie with his wife. Yeah. And um, uh, so, and I, I agree with that. And as much disdain and disgust that I have for this movie industry, there is a part of it that I acknowledge it. It is an important part of culture. And I kind of, I, I do have a, a soft spot in my heart. And listening to that show, which they talk so much, like it's really uh inside baseball like it's a movie industry not only about movies themselves but it's yeah. about movie industry insider type insights and news and things going on with actors or actresses or directors or producers or particular movie uh, production uh -huh. so yeah, i do i do enjoy it and i did have a question though about it i'm gonna have to ask it off the air though because uh, <laughs> i don't want to just you know cause some kind of controversy but um yeah. No, yeah, Good fair show. enough. The, the 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 final storm Rollo's been doing it for years. Check that out too. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, Sam and I are uh, spreading the love and also adding value here. I have uh I'm, I'm going to talk in a future show about Elon Musk. Uh not mm. just because I made it through his entire massive biography by Walter Isaacson, total establishment. Mm uh jew but unprecedented access to him and all the drama from his childhood up through uh twitter tesla spacex the, the entire gamut um talking uh, talking about a uh, a full house uh angle doesn't he have like 10 kids he's got a lot of kids sam but i can i i refuse i i will actually disavow his uh both his choice in 
mates as <laughs> yeah. well, as well. I mean, you know, it, it, Grimes. And, and, and it, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, credit for the fact that none of them have been Asian or Jewish yeah. or black so far as I know. Yes. Um, but it's, also, you know, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll save it, but I'll just say that he, he approaches life completely different from the rest of us. He is 100% neurologically atypical and his priorities are not our, our priorities, even mm-hmm. if he understands some of our issues Points. and, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and it wasn't until I heard that whole story where I really became one of those guys of like, you know, oh, no, no, do, do not put your hope and faith into a lawn. And I'll, I'll save, I'll, I'll save that as a spoiler for, you know, per, perhaps the next show. Uh, Sam has yeah. locked in our friend, Mike, who's been mentioned on previous shows as well as his uh, potential, uh, unnecessary kidney donor that's coming up but to piggyback off of this show we're gonna have on a guy who lives completely off grid with his family i've uh known him digitally for at least two years respected him tremendously and viewed him as a font of wisdom but i had no idea until recently uh that he really was living the mountain life uh not Randy Weaver style. Cause I don't want to curse him, you know, knock on wood, but he, you know, he's really out in the woods in the wilderness with his family. And I've also been listening to enemy podcasts and, you know, productions mm-hmm. recently. I'm going to save that too. Cause we're at hour two plus, um, mm-hmm. Guys have sent me stuff over the years and been like, coach, you got to listen to this. You should listen to that. Or they maybe mention you in this one, that one. And I usually start listening to it, Sam, and it's so boring. Mm. Honestly, I'm not saying that to flex, but it's Mm -hmm. like, yes, I, you know, like I know how leftists think and I know outrage porn when I hear it and they're usually joyless to yeah. you know there's like this this very grave tone about you know the gravity of the situation and how they're you know waging information war against nazis and white supremacists and stuff like that i'm just like <laughs> and, 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 like i, I you know it's like it, unless there's some you know scoop or something like i'm i'm really not interested uh, but somebody sent me another one recently. I was like, all right, fine. I'll I'll give this rodeo another ride and it was the same dynamic, but I did come away with a different uh, conclusion from it and some mm. interesting observations. So perhaps we'll, we'll put a <laughs> Spence when I, speaking of, uh, you know, enemy podcasts, I, I do consider Spencer now just a total turncoat. He used to always say, let's put a bookmark in that one yeah. at the end of his podcast that I used to listen <laughs> yeah. to when I was, yep. when I was still in the process of waking up. I remember I was, I was reading the liber, the, the conservatarian manifesto by Charles C.W. Cook of National Review while listening to a Richard Spencer podcast, right? So I was like, it was literally National Review in my hands and the alt-right in my ears. And mm. at some point, you know, Spencer had game and he talked a good game and he had good sure. guests. At some point, I closed that book and I was like, I'm just listening to this podcast. And <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever even thought about that moment before, but I remember exactly where I was. I was like, screw this book. <laughs> I don't, I probably mm-hmm. burned it or gave it away to somebody put it in a book arc. Uh, and then I just went full in alt right. But there's, uh, we, we, well, I'll shut up. 
uh, and stop with the teasers and the spoilers <laughs> and, and, and the shilling of a podcast. Sammy, baby, I am, as always, again, reinvigorated, proud, happy. Uh, Patrick is uh, a hell of a guy. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Sammy, baby, and then we'll land this puppy. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, like you were saying there, you know, when you're you're waking up to the truth, I think that uh, our position is it's not merely an intellectual position. You know, there's there's something of the religious fervor in it, and uh, and I think it excels religion in a way because these are not merely thoughts. This comes down to your actual being and your blood, uh, and and I think there's something exhilarating about waking up to these truths, even if some of them are grim, but uh, our people have been through many things and perhaps worse things in the past. And uh, if we have each other, then we have everything. Amen. And one more thing, uh, Steve Jobs style here, Sam, I wanted to mention this earlier because I was talking to a uh, local friend who used to be an absolutely devoted Trump uh, Q type guy. And yeah. he's he's a devout Christian, and over endless conversations over the past few years, you know, we've more or less come to the same point. And he, you know, I, I said, I certainly hope you have not been uh, overtaken by the Zionist propaganda. And he just looked at me, and you know, he, he could <laughs> spit spit on the floor. Uh, <laughs> but but he was a little bit sad. He was uh, he wasn't despondent. He wasn't depressed. But he kind of looked out the window and he said, "Yeah, but." You know, how many of these people are going to listen to us? How many of these people are, is it worth, you know, if I go out there and start telling them what I know yeah. now? Uh, no, this is an important point. Yeah. They're going to, they're, they're, you know, they're going to call me a, an anti-Semite, a racist, xenophobe, bigot, Nazi, right. et cetera. And, and I don't think that he was uh, unwilling to spread the truth. And I mean that sincerely, spread the truth, you know, whether you're religious yeah. or you're not, you know, it's just the, the world the way it is. He was just depressed about the likelihood of making a difference with enough people's lives. And I, I said this to him with respect, Sam. I said, what do you think the big guy, I, I referred to Jesus Christ as the big guy. And I sure. said it with respect as not a devout Christian. You know, you don't want to be one of those guys who's like, well, I'm not Christian, but I'm going to pray upon your Christianity to make a point. Right. I was like, do you think the do you think the big guy was worried about whether the masses would hear his message or was he just right. going to spit it, spit it regardless? Uh, and and I, I left it at that. Well, that's, that's an important point. I know we're trying to land the ship here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, just, <laughs> I just want to tack onto that. See, because yeah, please, in, a, yeah, in, in a different time, my mentality as a white nationalist was that most of these people absolutely cannot be saved. And we are part of an elite cadre that knows better. And one way or another, we will survive. And uh, basically, I think white nationalists of a different era had a tremendous amount of contempt for I will call the average white man or the midwit, like we, we use that term sure. earlier. Nor, nor me. Yeah. Yep. Because if I took Our, a vote, if I was to take a, take a vote at a certain time in history, uh, maybe now, or if you want to roll it back 20 or 25 years, I think of people I had to argue with when I was in college, 
I, I think that it, it just may be the case that the majority of white people absolutely are fine with being mixed out of existence. They don't yep. look at their race as anything to be conserved. Uh, they would deconstru- deconstruct yeah. it. They, they love their Negro music and they love their Hispanic food. And, and oh, it's, this is the best. This is the, exactly what they want. And, and so to that end, I have no interest in saving that person. You know, there's that until that person wakes up there, you know, that person is worthless to me. And it may be that there's only 10% of us or 5% of us or less that even think this way, in which case it's some kind of pipe dream that something is happening. That is somehow something we should be extremely interested in. And that's why I kind of take, you know, sometimes I hear different commentators and they're really invested in the thing. And it's like, uh, you know, I don't know that we should <laughs> get that excited about it, but, you know, and in recent years, it feels like there has been a sea change where maybe the majority of white people don't want to go out of existence. And they do see that their country and their culture is being overwhelmed by foreign and negative and hostile forces. So, yeah. you know, we, we can afford maybe to think of it a little differently now, but um, at any rate, my you know, like somebody might say, come on, what do you get out of all this? The risk and the <laughs> dealing with the, the way you look at people and things. The, the What I get, there's got to be not only the long-term payoff, which we may live to see or not see or partially see. There's got to be something that is a payoff now. And that's what I, I would try to sell oh, people on is being awake now has its own benefits to see yeah. the world as it really is and to understand things because it's it's also fascinating in a lot of ways. And ignorance is its own punishment. You know, the people that are are blind, they imagine being really blind, right? And you're walking into things, you're bumping into things you don't understand. When I do this, this happens. Why? I don't understand. That's because you're blind. And so, so, so there's, there's the immediate payoff of being a white nationalist, which is understanding how things are, your, your friendships and your associations are richer and more meaningful. And there's an exhilaration of being a part of something important, even if we're 1% or something like that. Whatever it is. Yep. And also the flip side, Sam, is that cowardice is a stain that you mm-hmm. will go to your grave with. I yeah. had that, I had an epiphany or a, a choosing moment, you know, a time for choosing was I yeah. think uh Dean Acheson was a Cold War thing, and you know, it was mm-hmm. completely irrelevant from this, but I was like, I am angry and I am newly informed, and I know that this stuff is dangerous information but i cannot possibly refute it or say that it's wrong or it's evil Mm -hmm. or you know all all these things so i can either sit on it or play it safe or you know i can uh, dabble and then do a little bit more dabbling and do a little more networking and a little bit more outreach right i totally flew too close to the sun and got (laughs) burned uh absolutely for sure yeah but but you know uh when you go to meet your maker <laughs> right. and I, I think, you know, Patrick, you know, getting a little long in the tooth was, was hinting at that. Uh, you know, are you going to wish that you did less or that you did more? And I right. guarantee you audience that 
when you go to meet your maker, whether it's on a battlefield or in a hospital bed or surrounded by your loving family members, you're going to wish that you did more and that you spoke more freely and that you took more chances. One of the Silicon right. Valley effing values that came across from Elon <laughs> Musk was, you know, go and break stuff. Not necessarily right. something you want to live by as your ethos, uh, but still valuable. Those guys became billionaires and world changers by living boldly and they live right. boldly for technology and for money. And, you know, some of them were, you know, noble Musk wants to go to Mars, multi-planetary uh, civilization, et cetera. Uh, but as a, perhaps a simple undoxed, non-involved full house listener, Take stock of what you got. We're not telling you to go out and be a wild man and, you know, just, you know, throw all caution to the wind. Uh, but life is finite. And I don't personally uh, necessarily know whether you're going to have a heaven or hell <laughs> dichotomy binary. Sam certainly does. Uh, but regardless, the time that we have on this earth is precious and should be used to the utmost. Sam, I can't uh, be any happier than just flying with you here in the second yeah. half. Thank you so much. <laughs> it, it was a blast. You bet. We, we'll we could probably we'll keep do. going on and do another hour if we wanted to. <laughs> I, I'm going to call I'll call my buddies in uh, Shin Bet or Masad to go visit uh, Rolo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> 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 right, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll get rid of it. We're just going to do uh, Sam, Sam and Coach in the second half. All right, Full House episode 170 was recorded from my kitchen table. Hear that? Yeah, not in the gazebo because I took this episode so seriously. I did not want to gamble on the Wi-Fi extender down in the gazebo, even though that means it's, you know, I can be out of earshot of my whole family. It was October 18th when we started. It's October 19th when we conclude, at least here on the East Coast. Old Sammy baby is still in the uh, Great Lakes, uh, Saskatchewan. (laughs) (laughs) And we are perhaps, we are perhaps on the evil war. You know, we had some fun here in the second half, but uh, please don't let us uh, disabuse you of the gravity of the situation. Follow us. Telegram. Gab and whatever you do, uh, on top of all the other shilling, follow Patrick Martin. Uh, if you listen to him tonight, you know he's a damn serious man with a ton of experience. He's on Gab, he's got a book out, he's got a podcast, uh, and we'll put all those links in the show notes. And yes, this show is 100% complete free. We will be back in just a few days, uh, most likely with that guest that we teased. And Rolo's not here, but I Rolo loves horror movies. Rolo loves Halloween. Rolo loves synthwave tech, etc. So it's a shame that he's not here to tee this one up. But this is a synthwave remix or remake of the Tubular Bells uh, track from The Exorcist, widely considered the greatest horror movie of all time. So uh, hope you enjoy it. Best to Sam, his family, Patrick and his family, and Rolo and his future family. We love you, fam, and we'll talk to you next week. I got nobody to pass it to but you, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) See ya. See ya. See ya.